heard you were wooing Ginger Rogers. What about that? Uh, she's uh, just a friend. Ha! Men can't be friends with women, Howard. They must possess them or leave them be. It's a primitive urge from caveman days. It's all in Darwin. Hunt the flesh, kill the flesh, eat the flesh. That's the uh, male sex all over. Excuse me? Well, if you're deaf, you must own up to it. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. And if you disagree, <laughs> join the discussion at Twitter at, at the Rank Podcast, on our website at therankwithjohnandzack.com. Or email us at therankwithjohnandzack at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at The Rank Podcast. And remember, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. Anyway, enjoy the show. So, how is you? I'm okay. Sick. All right, so the aviator... <laughs> <laughs> no, I finished it. It was long. It was it was long. That's very that's, that's yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's very true. I'm curious though, because you know, it had a I, I feel like it changed my mood, but maybe I've actually been sort of reconsidering what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um but I wanted to ask you, did, did it affect your mood at all? Yes, but for specific reason, which is, uh, you know. Would you care to elaborate? Yeah. Oh, it's just his paranoia and anxieties really kind of hit home for me. And it was kind of upsetting. Yeah, I don't know what it was for me. It was like, a, the I think it was the anxiety mm -hmm. for, for me. That was like, there was, was the sense of dread. Yep, like that building terror you know, that he was experiencing. Seeing, yeah. I don't know, imagining people have to get him everywhere. It was hit a little too close to home for me. Well, I've been like not feeling well often mm -hmm. yeah. lately, like getting headaches and stuff. And I was like, man, why do I keep getting headaches? Like, what is going on? And I realized I'm not cleaning the litter boxes enough. Oh, okay. That's what it is, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because they said prolonged exposure to the ammonia and cat pee can, like, cause nausea and headaches and stuff. Yeah, I believe that. And, you know, I've got three cats. Yeah. And I'm in the basement where the litter boxes are. And, uh, you know, I can't be bothered to clean them but once a week. Yeah. And, yeah, not great. So I cleaned them. I was like, it was Thursday morning. I was just like, God damn, my fucking head is killing me. And I was like, you know what? I, and I looked it up and I'm like, oh, I bet that's what it is. And I cleaned the litter boxes and like, you know, put the, uh, put the garbage away and immediately mm -hmm. I felt better. Well, that is, uh, I don't want to say simple, but you know, like such a direct solution, you know, like, oh, oh, they have all this, this psychic ennui and this like existential dread and just, oh wait no it's just ammonia it just stinks in here yeah exactly <laughs> yeah 
and you know, I mean, it's not like I didn't know it stunk. You know yeah. what I mean? But I didn't know it was it was like having so much of of an effect on me. So that's a nice, embarrassing stink of my um, living situation story. Well, I mean, it kind of fits with the aviator. Um, yes, it absolutely does. Great segue, right? <laughs> not cleaning, like not pissing in a room. Not cleaning, yeah, with uh, lines of milk bottles filled with, you know. Yeah. Waste. If you're going to have milk bottles filled with human waste, that is the one to go with, though. It's <laughs> my opinion on the matter. Yeah, and then he had tissues lining, like he was, it was like a walkway of tissues, like the uh -huh. tissues were the wall. And you know what I, uh, not to, not spoiler alert for Howard Hughes's life, but my understanding is that he got worse, actually. Like, you know, later into life. At really? that point, at that point, yeah, my understanding is that he uh, was still, you know, like that was bad, but then he got a little bit better and then got a lot worse, is what I'm I'm told so. Also, wasn't he the richest man in the world? Like, yeah, um, I believe, I believe brain, he was dude. for a while. Yeah, I uh, saw in a review I was reading about it. He was the richest man in the world, and he bought himself a room he never left. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just well, we'll talk about it in the movie, I guess. Maybe we should just dive into it. Yeah, dive right into aviation. Yeah, let's dive into the aviator. Well, so why don't you give us an agenda? So our uh, agenda that we like to do around here is uh, to begin oh, with wow. opening banter, <laughs> which you just experienced. Lucky you. Um, <laughs> after which we go into the uh, quick, quick movie overview, where John wrote usually a pretty surprisingly good summary. Um, after which we go into the potent notables, where we talk about the interesting things we learned about the movie. Today I learned Howard Hughes was the richest man on earth, for instance, um, briefly. And after which we go into the long movie, what do you call it? The, uh, I can't think of a word. It's not a summary, it's a step-by-step -step procedural of the movie explanation. You can chime in with a word anytime you want. <laughs> or you can just let me keep certain keep scrambling for one. Sorry, sorry. I was, I, was I, was doing, I was doing so well up to that point too, and then, and then I forgot the word for overview. No, not overview. What's the word? I don't know. Well, I don't know where you were to be honest with you, because I realized I'm light on potent notables for this. Oh no. Um, but that's okay. So, did you do potent notables already? Yeah. So you were on movie overview, which comes out comes next after potent notables. Okay, so the movie movie overview, and uh, after which we rank the movie based on ten categories. Uh, for this series on a scale of one to ten and then we'll find out this is the first movie for this year's that oscar 2004 2004. well so. the, the 2005 oscar nominees for the 2004 movies mm. i wish there was an easier way to describe that yeah well that's hollywood's fault for having the oscars the wrong year yeah fuck them yeah that's what i always say that's why i don't get invited to their parties yeah, or I mean, I guess we could say we could say the nominees from the seventy eighth annual Oscars or whatever. Oh yeah, sure, that was. We could go I'm sure that'll be easy for people to like seventy. What the hell one is that? Yeah, we'll go the Super Bowl route. Actually, I think I got that dead on. Was that the seventy eighth? That would be crazy if that was the actual. Because I'm thinking, okay, nineteen twenty seven is the first one. 
right? Mm -hmm. 78 years later is 2005. Mm -hmm. I mean, did I get it right? Let's let's see. I, I don't know. You're asking me like I don't. Oscar nominees. Let's see. No, it was. It was I saw so I it's 2000. It's the 2005 nominees to the 2006 Oscars. Oh, what's wrong with you? I was close though. Yeah. That's pretty damn good that it was just out of nowhere. I was one year off. I will, I'm not impressed. Yeah, well, you shouldn't be because I'm a piece of shit. I was... Did you finish the agenda? <laughs> I guess it's good enough. <laughs> if they don't know by now. Yeah. They'll, they'll never know. I'm well today, if if you don't know from the title of the episode, maybe you're not a reader. <laughs> um Today we're ranking the aviator. Maybe you're just a lowly aviator. Yeah, the 2004 film, or maybe maybe you're in the robot jocks future. <laughs> you don't read for a living, unlike that brother character, I guess. A B D <laughs> Green Laser. So today we're ranking the aviator, the 2004 film starring Leonardo DiCaprio, written by John Logan and directed by Martin Scorsese. Is it Scorsese or is it Scorsese? He says Scorsese, so that's what I've been trying to say recently. That's what I've been trying to do, too. I think he not, does. Well, I don't think he does, but it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, winning five. It won for Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Supporting Actress for Kate Blanchett. The ones it was nominated for but didn't win were Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound Mixing, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Alan Alda, Best Actor for Leonardo DiCaprio, and of course, Best Picture. So the movie depicts the life of eccentric aviation pioneer Howard Hughes, spanning from the late 1920s to the 1940s. The film explores Hughes's passionate pursuit of aviation advancements, his influential role in the film industry, and his struggles with mental illness. As Hughes builds his empire and attempts to break boundaries in both aviation and filmmaking, he becomes entangled in relationships with various women and battles against corporate interests and government scrutiny. That's the summary. Very, very some of you. Yeah, I did some of it. Um, <laughs> that made me. <laughs> I've got a lot of energy today. I gotta like, I gotta, I gotta buck up here. I don't know what's going on. I was like, we did this movie. <laughs> Maybe you're depressed because of the uh, aviator being so such a harrowing tale of I don't really know what, but I guess mental illness. You know, I I pose this question to people, uh, to our listeners: Would you, if you had the choice between mental health and being rich? like rich like Howard Hughes was rich, would you take the money if it came with the mental health issues? That's an interesting I question. Would. Yeah, that's an interesting question because especially back then, there wasn't anything they could do for him. Right. And exactly. I'm, not sure there's, I'm not sure there's a lot more you can do these days for a lot of mental health issues. So I might not. Although if the choice, if it's, if it's like be poor but have your mental health, then... I think I might be poor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even, you know what? I'm not even posing it as be poor, mm -hmm. but just be where you are now. Yeah. Or yeah. I think rich and have poor mental health. Yeah. You know, if they, the people say, you know, at least I have my health, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I would take, 
I would I would leave the riches. I would keep my mental health. I think I might too. It's a little hard to say. It's I guess, I guess it maybe also depends on the mental health issue in question because some are worse than others. Yeah. Like if I had uh, Denzel Washington the Equalizer OCD, I think I'd be cool. Yeah, that's but, true. I'd be okay with that. But if I had Howard Hughes level, you know, whatever, I don't know what did did, did this. Anybody have like a? Every so often, sometimes they'll uh, like diagnose somebody after the fact. I don't know if anyone has ever bothered to do that for him. I'm looking it up right now. I am too. All I'm seeing on Wikipedia OCD. is compulsive. Yeah. Yeah. But which is, I mean, I I thought that was what I thought it was, um, when watching the film. Mm -hmm. There's some like real hallmarks of it, like the repeating words. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a really big OCD. The, wait, the the what? Re repeating words. Are you gonna do it again? So I have to repeat it. <laughs> I think I think you might have caught it. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then the obsessively washing hands. And yeah, like that you know, they say that's germ. You know, being a germaphobe, but it's the. Uh, I mean, washing till you bleed. Yeah, is, is definitely an OCD trait. And washing till you bleed with the your childhood soap is certainly also. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Some kind, some kind of mental health uh, thing that is goes beyond the scope of. Ordinary, like, oh, he's just he's a clean freak or something, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he got himself into some pickles with that. Um, so we've done all the movies from 2015 that were nominated for Best Picture. The best Best Picture nominee from the movies of 2015, according to us, ended up being Brooklyn. I mean, it sounds about right to me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now, we've moved to the movies that came out in 2004, and we're starting with The Aviator. So we're doing it in alphabetical order. We're on to 2004. And again, we're leaving it up to you guys to pick the one after 2004. If we don't hear from you, we're just going to pick it for ourselves, um, which honestly will be a little bit depressing for us because we'd, mm -hmm. we'd really like for you to pick it for us. But please, whatever. Okay. Yeah, um, but I'm curious if Brooklyn will continue to hold its lead after all the movies from 2004. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, might be one of the more interesting facets of, of this whole thing is that we're actually going to get another year, you know, to compare with. Not exactly. that, not that the movies all from 2017 or whatever are like somehow. <laughs> Somehow, I just like, said it just like <laughs> two seconds ago. Well, that's about how long my uh, attention span is. So, <laughs> some year he said it three times already, but anyway, so I got and also we've said it how many times during those episodes that we talked about the year that I don't know what though is this in four? That's this time 2015, but uh, yeah, but uh, not that there's like something uh, inherent about the year 2015 that's gonna make all the movies the same. But the very least now we have a little bit more historical perspective not a ton but some yeah well we're going to anyway mm -hmm. once we once we get this first one out of the way and um yeah i mean we'll also find out you know this year for 2004 what was the best 
best picture nominee for this year so yeah not only do we get to find out if any of the 2004 movies topple the 20 any of the 2015 movies but we'll also separate from that be able to say you know yeah million dollar baby should have won best picture or no it fucking shouldn't have yeah should have been finding neverland <laughs> that's that's how this is gonna work that's yeah. you've just discovered <laughs> exactly what our opinion is going to be so let's dive in here what's uh Lyndon, what are we doing next So, as always, we're going to start off our Pote Notables with the box office numbers, right? So, The Aviator made $102.6 million domestically and $111.1 million internationally for a worldwide total of $213.7 million against a budget of $110 million. Which is kind of a big budget. It is. Um, we'll get into it, but you know, it's it's bigger than you'd expect. I mean, two thousand four. I mean, you know, it's almost twenty years ago now. True, that's, that's a big budget. But but of that one hundred ten million dollars, Martin Scorsese claims that he paid five hundred thousand dollars of his own money to cover over budget expenses. Did he did he claim that in the congressional hearing they held to see if he was movie profiteering? Yes. I thought so. I knew that they investigated him for that. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and and he determined he was. And he never <laughs> directed another movie again. Not a single movie ever again, especially with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's right. Especially with Leonardo DiCaprio having a mental illness. Yeah. Shutter Island. Um, also, was that nominated for Best Picture? No, that year? I don't think it was. No, that was, was a good, good one though. Movie. Yeah, no, I, I, it's one of the few that you know I've actually seen, and might be interesting to talk about. So maybe we'll have to fit it in somewhere for something. I don't know what. Yeah, we'll um, do a list. We'll do movies with uh, top uh, top ten movies with Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo, and it'll be just that one. <laughs> and Max von Sydow <laughs> has to be those three uh, actors. Only those three, and yep. they have to be in the movies together. Yep. Um, so, so our choices are Shutter Island, and that's it. <laughs> I know what my number one is going to be. My, um, my number one is going to be. Uh, I couldn't think of anything. Darn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, also, of that hundred ten million dollar budget, twenty million dollars of it was Leo's salary. Was it? Yeah, I guess that yep. makes sense. So I wouldn't call this a super hit. You know, I mean it. Mm. It. Uh, the the domestic total didn't even beat the budget and mm. uh, the international total only just beat the budget by 1.1 million dollars mm. obviously collectively it doubles the budget so yeah it's not like it's terrible but uh i think they probably would have liked to have seen a better return for that um anyway now not to keep breaking down the budget but the costumes in this were two million dollars of the budget just two million dollars dollars for costumes. Yeah, I'm trying to like think of what. I don't really know what goes into costuming. Now that I'm thinking of it, so guess I don't have much of an opinion on that. <laughs> Does like vintage fabric cost a lot of money? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Um, it is sort of interesting to think about. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of. 
you know it's not there, there's a lot of uh leo not wearing any costume in it yeah that must have been that must have been what cost so much money is yeah. the leo charges for being naked on top of his 20 million dollar salary mm -hmm. oh yeah that's that's ex that's extras you know what i mean that's he's like 1.99 million for the nudity mm -hmm. so really the costume just cost ten thousand. um okay. but uh interestingly this was actually the first scorsese movie to make over 100 million dollars of the domestic box domestic box office i guess that makes sense though because you know it's not like he's out, out here he certainly doesn't direct marvel movies for instance because he yeah, doesn't it, like <laughs> well you, what i think is interesting about that is that he'd never in his entire you know illustrious career he had never gone over 100 million dollars at the domestic bo box office and yet they still gave him a hundred ten million dollar budget. Well, you know, he walks in. What are you gonna do? Say no? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Well, they didn't say no to Howard Hughes when he kept I guess that was his own money though. So. Right, exactly. And you know, I if I'm the movie executive, I'm like, okay, so your returns are this, and you want more than what your movies make. Yeah. No thanks. I'm gonna have to say no. Could you bring Spielberg in for this? <laughs> Um, but yeah, Scorsese designed each year in this movie to look just the way a color movie from that time period would look. Really? Yes. I kind of wish I'd known that watching it. Not that like, not that your average viewer would know that, but I would have paid more attention to that. I saw it. What's funny is I forgot about this and I uh -huh. saw it and we won't, we're not going to get into it right now, but I did not like that. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, We've talked about this on other movies. I, I don't need, I'm watching a movie from 2004. I, yeah. I don't need, I'm not trying to watch a movie from 1930. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I, I pretty much agree with that too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, but it was achieved mainly through digitally enhanced post-production. And Scorsese recreated the look of Cinecolor and, and two-strip Technicolor. I don't really know what either of those involve, uh, especially not, in regards to other color processes, but that's okay. Me, yeah, me either. Sounds you like see, a lot the, of work. The thing is, is that I bet virtually no one would be able to tell. So, <laughs> but meanwhile, because you know he's like a kind of obsessive about these things, I wonder what he saw in the story that he enjoyed. <laughs> well, I know, I know one thing he saw in the story that he enjoyed, or I should say, two things that he saw and enjoyed. Um, what but, two? Well, there was a number of pairs of them balls okay it's, it it has been a minute since you watched this movie i guess were there a lot of boobs in it yeah <laughs> i don't remember seeing any boobs at all well none of them were naked oh okay oh oh yes there's yeah okay that, no, do, that right. doesn't count you don't remember the this, if you know, i don't see the nips i don't you know it doesn't yeah, register that's, that's nothing that's not cheating but uh you don't remember the scene with Edward Herman where he's going on about the yes. memories? These yeah. memories are especially exposed. And I'm like, why Why with the memories? Why? Why do you have to say it that way? <laughs> You're making it much worse. Um, But yeah, so the scene where Howard Hughes meets Errol Flynn in the club. Uh -huh. Hughes is served precisely placed peas on a plate and they appear blue or turquoise yeah. just as they'd have looked in the two-strip Technicolor process. Also, I think I did actually, I do actually remember thinking those peas looked funny, but I wasn't sure yeah. just what was going on with that. 
Also, the golf course. It was like uh -huh. a blue golf course. Oh, kind of, kind of tempted to go back now, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. Oh, yeah. um, not because it's bad, but just it's very long, and I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody have time for that. No, I know. I say, you know, it's like getting bronchitis. Mm -hmm. So, as Hughes ages throughout the movie, the color gets more sophisticated and full-bodied, mm. right? So, um, it's interesting. It's an interesting filmmaking technique. I don't really care for it, but whatever. Um, I'm so of, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of not into it either, but that's all right. <laughs> I get it. You know, you're making art, sure. Um, some, <laughs> just, you know. Your passion in this subject is just incomparable. Well, you know what it is? You know, like some people really like Andy Warhol, you mm -hmm. know? And I'm like, he he pissed on fucking canvases, you know? Mm -hmm. That's not fucking art. Sorry. Maybe you like Warhol. Sorry. I'm but, sorry, uh, but Picasso is a god. Picasso? Mm -hmm. There's a part in this movie where Catherine Hepburn proclaims. Oh, right, right. Picasso is a god. Yeah. I don't know. Really, hey, fella. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that too. Yeah. <laughs> now, Martin Scorsese requ requested that Kate Blanchett watch the first 15 movies of Catherine Hepburn. Oh, just the first 15. He's like, don't worry, we don't have a lot of time. So I'm just going to give you the first 15 movies of Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> don't worry. You don't have to watch the rest. <laughs> um, but he wanted her to learn her mannerism and her poise. And Kate Blanchett learned to play tennis and golf and took cold showers, for which Hepburn was known. Cold showers. <laughs> that seems. I know it's like a. She learned to play tennis and golf. You're like, okay, yeah. So, yeah. And, and then also she took cold showers. What Who checked that? Yeah. <laughs> um, Martin Scorsese, you know, sneaking into her apartment every night. Apartment, I don't know, wherever she lives. <laughs> Katie, Katie, when there you're taking a cold shower. What's happening? Hey, hey, see, you gotta <laughs> take cold showers. <laughs> Apparently, he's Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> Kate Blanchett's portrayal of Katherine Hepburn makes her the first performer to win an Oscar for playing a real-life Oscar winner. Oh, how about that? And I, I'm sure you know this, but Hepburn won a record four Best Actress Oscars. Oh, well, you know. I guess she was okay. Just four. Now, freckles were painstakingly painted onto Kate Blanchett's face, arms, and chest to make her resemble Katherine Hepburn. No, we have to paint these more painstakingly onto your chest, Kate. Hold on. <laughs> Don't put your shirt back on yet. We haven't done this painstakingly enough. Yeah. We spare no attention to detail around here. We spared no expense. Yeah, I was going to say that too, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, you suck. Yeah. I feel like so, some of these character beats here are just, I just, I just don't want, I don't know how necessary all of them were. I'm not trying to be mean, but. <laughs> like be that in the cold showers, I I feel like I would have not noticed. That's okay though. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, cold showers, freckles that I didn't notice, and this weird these color techniques that are like that that important for whatever. I'm with you. I'm, with I'm not you. trying to. I'm not trying to hate. No, nah, me either. But it's definitely. I don't know that I would have gone to this level of detail, but. Um, Kate that's Blanchett, why we're not Oscar-winning directors. That's no. So I think it's standing in our way forever. That no. What's been standing in our way forever is Martin Scorsese. He's been holding us down. <laughs> he's that's been literally what? standing in our way. He won't move. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's a tiny him. guy. I don't know why he won't do it. Yeah, 
we do you think we could just bowl him over but you know he's got a lot of gravitas for he's got a lot of moxie for a guy his size yeah moxie <laughs> see he's got a lot of moxie um <laughs> he does now kate blanchett felt that accurately reproducing katherine hepburn's distinctive upper class new englander accent was crucial to her portrayal of this hollywood icon uh -huh. she did daily voice exercises with a voice coach so i get her point here mm -hmm. But I had no fucking idea that Catherine Hepburn had an upper class fucking New England accent. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that that accent was an upper class New England accent. I thought it was just like, I sound like I'm from the 20s. See? <laughs> <You know? laughs> the $4 million budget for Hell's Angels from 1930 adjusted for inflation would be. Wait, it was. Did you say four or 400? Four, four. Four <laughs> I'm like, holy macaroni. <laughs> they weren't kidding when they said that was expensive. So if you adjusted it for inflation um, for 2004, for when this mm -hmm. movie came out, it would have been $44.2 million. Mm -hmm. So, well, but the movie that was like a biopic of this guy, mm -hmm. When they were talking about, oh, he's spending way too much money, see? Um, <laughs> everything's C for this, by the way. Yeah, I guess so. It's it, This movie employed no one but gangsters from <laughs> like, Edward G. Robinson. I don't know. I feel like everybody ha was was doing that type of accent in this movie. Um, what voice, see? I'm not talking <laughs> like anything, see? But, I mean, think about it. So this movie, which, which at the time they were like, oh, he's spending so much money, he's never going to make it back would have equated to $44.2 million in 2004 money. Mm -hmm. And this movie cost $110 million mm -hmm. in yeah, 2004 so. money. So, you know, the comparison's a little weird. Yeah. Now, many had tried to produce a Howard Hughes biopic before, the, before this one. Uh -oh. Among the failed attempts are, one, a companion piece to Reds, uh, planned by actor and director Warren Beatty. Mm -hmm. Two, John Malkovich and partner Russell Smith attempted it in 1993. Three, the adaptation plan, uh, um, planned by Alan Hughes and Albert Hughes, who wanted jo Johnny Depp in the lead. Mm -hmm. Which, actually, I could see that. I could see John Malkovich, too. But... Yeah, I could see John Malkovich. Actually, John Malkovich would have been a good one. I think mm -hmm. Johnny Depp would have... I don't think it would have been bad, but it would have been very Johnny Depp. You know? Yeah, I agree. And four, well, there's and there's there's a bunch, but so four was a Brian De Palma directed biopic with Touchstone Pictures, which fell through because of the eighty million dollar price tag. Oh, too much. Yeah, which this is thirty million dollars more. Um, five in January two thousand, it was announced that Milos Forman was direct was to direct a biopic with Edward Norton as Hughes, and a script by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. I have to I'm say, not, Edward Norton would have been an interesting choice here. Interesting choice. I'm not sure. I don't know if he could have pulled it off. Me either. But he's generally quite good. So I'm not going to say he couldn't. Just I'm skeptical. But then again, I would have been skeptical about Leo, too, if I had heard about this. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that. And I probably shouldn't say it now. So I guess I'll wait. Um, no, you should say it. Should I? No, you can wait. No. Wait. You should wait. Why should we? Should I? No, I'll wait. 
Yo, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Oh God, I even feel like people are just gonna t- turn this off. <laughs> like okay, the, the entire year of and four is now abandoned because yeah. <laughs> they're idiots. Uh, number six in January t- two thousand two, Jim Carrey and director oh. Christopher Nolan oh my tried God. to start the project with cra- with Castle Rock Entertainment, but it didn't get off the ground soon enough to beat this movie into production. I'm not gonna lie, I might have watched that movie. That one sounds amazing. <laughs> Yikes! I I. I... I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not. I kind of wish that they at least had done like a screen test for that because I would love to see Jim Carrey's interpretation of this. Right. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Christopher Nolan. This movie, well, I should say Oppenheimer reminded me a lot of this movie, but I saw Oppenheimer first. It's rather similar as far as these things go. So there's some stuff that. Um, that they didn't put in the movie that the, mm-hmm. the biopic omits, uh, you know, of course, I mean, it's three hours. I'm glad they omitted something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like one of them was that they dismissed the original female star, Greta Nissen. She was replaced by Jean Harlow, not, uh, not to be confused with, uh, Gwen Stefani. Yeah. After her voice was deemed unsuitable for the part. Huh. I wonder what that means. I don't know. It's uh, interesting, which is funny because they show that he, he you know, was orig- originally shot without any sound. Mm-hmm. So they went back and reshot the whole thing with sound. So I guess they were like, "Oh no, you don't sound good." It's well, like what he- happened to Charlie Chaplin. He actually, so Martin Scorsese actually almost quit filmmaking after uh, after The Aviator. Why? He was just drained, and um, the last two weeks of editing and mixing the Aviator, I had left the business stress. I said, if this mm-hmm. was the way you have to make films, then I'm not going to do it anymore. Which is interesting. So he was just basically super stressed out. He was butting heads with with studio executives who wanted the running times of his movies shortened. Which, yeah, you know, <laughs> I get it. Um. It, it is sort of interesting, by the way. I feel like we've almost gone back a little bit. Mm. It seems like movies are much longer now. Have you noticed that? I absolutely have. And I don't know that I always love the trend, but uh, I can... It's, I it, like it sometimes. Well, Roger Ebert used to say that, you know, there's no there's no good movie that's too long and no bad movie that's too short. Right, but um, I don't know if I always agree with that because he would always say, "Oh, it's like getting twenty percent more in your shampoo bottle." It's always good, you know. So I get it, right? I I get I get what you're saying, and I get what he's saying. Sarah has the same mentality. She's like, "I can't do a movie that's longer than like two hours and ten minutes," you know. Mm-hmm. And and we'll go to movies that are longer than that, and she'll be like, "That was really good." Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, "Well, you know how long it was?" She's like, "Yeah, it was too long." <laughs> but but it doesn't take away from the fact that she liked the movie right yeah and so for me if i really like a movie I, I like want it to just keep going on and on and on you know so i guess it's not a good sign by the way that i've been 
complaining yeah. about how long Aviator was. No, it doesn't. I love long movies. The longer the movie, the better. This movie, though, <laughs> could have done with a little trimming. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, this movie was so paranoid, it wouldn't let anyone near it with scissors. So, yeah. So, I guess, uh, you know, spoiler for, for what's coming. <laughs> um, but, uh, but actually, so Michael Mann gave away the aviator to Martin Scorsese. He's like, you can have it. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> now, and now I don't know if you know, I mean, Michael Mann has done a whole bunch of movies about obses obs obsessives, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and especially, okay, especially in the way that Howard Hughes was like very meticulous when he was directing, you mm -hmm. know, with his movies. Um, like in Miami Vice, which I've never seen, but mm -hmm. apparently uh, he pushed so hard for an authentic portrayal of drug trafficking that the cast and crew often felt imperiled. <laughs> so that's not great. Yeah. Uh, now he insists that it wasn't that he was identifying too closely with the famed Renaissance man. It was just simply a matter of timing. Let him to offer the project to Scorsese. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, yeah, I think it might hit a little too close to home. But anyway, yeah, Michael Mann gave it to uh, to Scorsese, and you know, ended up with eleven Oscar nominations. Michael Mann's like, damn it. <laughs> I think he's done all right for himself. But yeah, so those are the uh those are the potent notables. Well, let's dive into the movie overview since let's... we've been kind of doing it throughout this whole thing anyway. Movie overview. Um I I went into it like, oh, I'm excited for our first Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. Um and then we had the opening scene, and I was already uncomfortable. I'm oh, like, I know. <laughs> is this mom going to fuck her kid? Like, Pretty much. <laughs> no. This is weird. Yeah, I mean, I realized that they're, like, establishing his phobias for yeah. later. It was really um, establishing it, though. But really weird. Yeah. Um... I Also, do we need... There, there, people have phobias that don't necessarily, like, come from... A statement when you were a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was gonna save it for for later, but um, I didn't love this. Um, both yeah, because it, 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 for exactly the reason you're getting to, which is that like movies have this desire often to simplify people's like complex inner workings. Well, it's because his mom was weird, you know, like or like a specific incident where he's repeating how to spell quarantine like she said and that's why he's got a germophobia it's like he could have a germophobia for so many goddamn reasons it's this it's really like, like we don't need it yeah you can um, just say he's a germaphobe okay yeah we get it you know you like you, you in fact don't need to show any of his background for that you can just i know establish that oh man he seems to have this problem and who knows where it came from but he's got it either way sometimes things don't come from anywhere uh-huh exactly it just happen you know mm -hmm. and it's not like you know it's, it's giving too much credit almost to this mother character of his who I'm, I'm sure that she had an impact on his life but like geez you know it was weird it was it was, it was really it was weird. very weird and then like i don't like this simplification of of mental health where it's there's got to be one genesis of this 
Yeah, if only he could have just seen a therapist who would have been like, aha, it was yeah. your mother. Yeah, and he would have been like, that's it. You're right. I'm, I'm cured. So, yeah, I'm so, glad yeah. we're of a mind on that. Yeah, I didn't really like that. So, um, <laughs> so then we, we cut to him like he's filming Hell's Angels, right? Mm. And John C. Riley shows up and he's like, I'm going to buy you, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Come with me, slave. <laughs> Jimmy Fox, you too. <laughs> so then, um, really, I should have said Kerry Washington, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, then he they like talk about him going back to Houston. He's like, I'm not going back there. And he's talking about how it's like full of disease and it's a swamp and all that. And I'm just yeah. like, what? I think you did a pretty accurate job of describing Houston. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's crazy, but he's not wrong there. Uh, so yeah, now we've you know we're, we're moving on, and is like he's 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 working really hard trying to get this movie to be like the perfect movie, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he's being a bit <laughs> obsessive about it, huh? A little bit, um, but then he goes up to Mr. Mayor of MGM, Metro mm -hmm. Golden Mayor or Meyer, whatever. Um, it was Mayor, right? That's what mayor. they said. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I thought uh, it was the mayor of LA for a second. I that's I realized, what no, I thought too. It's Louis B. Mayor. Do I feel silly or what? <laughs> I was like, why, why do we care about the like? Why would the mayor have cameras? You know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, Mr. Mayor, I need some of the city's cameras. What the, the stoplight cameras, or what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like uh, he was wonderfully condescending. Um, oh yeah, he absolutely was. I wanted yeah. to smack him, and I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even the brash young millionaire, probably just million. Yeah, he was not a billionaire. Well, I think he eventually became a billionaire. Yeah, I think he was that, like the first billionaire. Um, yeah, billionaire. Right? Um, I think it might be Rockefeller. Oh yeah, maybe. First, but that's not the point. So then we then we see his uh, his PR guy, I mm -hmm. guess. And I did not know Adam Scott was in this. I didn't either. I was like, this is before. I was like, was Adam Scott even alive then? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, really? Adam like, Scott in 2004? He's definitely alive. It wasn't that long ago. In my head, it was like the 90s. This movie. <laughs> yeah. But I, I definitely didn't know he was in, in anything up to that point. So well, the first thing that I know about him being in is that Party Down show or whatever that was on uh, Stars randomly. I think it was Stars. It's awful random since I don't know what the hell it is. You know, it's funny. The first thing I know of him ever having been in, like the first time I ever saw him in anything ever, was another movie with John C. Riley in it. What's that? Oh, I know what it is. It's Step Brothers. Step Brothers. Yeah, I literally yeah. didn't know who he, he was. He was really good in that too. He was a big. He was a jerk, is what he was. Yeah, but he was so he was he was funny at being that over the top dickhead. You know, I was gonna save it for uh, acting, but um, it always makes me laugh when you see before comedy like renaissance uh, yeah. John C. Riley, and he's like he's always effective as like just sort of a quiet mild-mannered guy who used to be like his I thing he's a really good actor he's he's a very good actor and i thought of him as not that i don't think of him as such now but like you know i always thought of him as like oh what a effective everyman you know yeah well i mean mr cellophane Exactly, which was not that long before this, right? Two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. So you know, he's kind of playing. I love 
that that that's like my favorite song of that movie. Of well, that you know what? We will we'll get to that because it won Best Picture, but yep. we'll also we also get to it if we ever do Best uh, uh, Musicals. That that's right. Be best, that can be your top musical of all time. I don't think it would be. <laughs> Jesus know. Christ, superstar! Jesus Christ! I thought it was going to be Cats for sure. Oh, that means we have to watch Cats. We're doing it. <laughs> oh God! I've um, been looking for an excuse to watch Cats because I can't bring myself to do it of my own volition. Because I know, I know it's a horrible idea. Well, so, <laughs> so I've been looking for an excuse. Well, we'll have to let the uh, the people decide. Should we <laughs> should we create a third movie series? Um, if we're letting the people decide if we should, or if we're going to do cats as a, as a thing, they're going to decide no. Because well, they might want to make us suffer. They might want to. You're right. Um, and cast was directed by a guy who won best director at the Oscars one year. And I think that movie won. I don't remember if it won best picture, but when that movie came out, people were like, how do you take away someone's Oscar? <laughs> Can you do that retroactively? Probably. I mean, they do that to Heisman Trophy winners and randomly vacate championships. Don't, don't get me started on vacating championships. It's so stupid. Anyway. I'm glad we agree on that, too, because... It's the stupidest like, thing ever. Like, oh, okay, we're just going to forget fucking history? Yeah, you never know? mind. A do-over? Like, no. It, it happened. That's who won. Especially yeah. the championships one. I get taking back someone's trophy. Like, I don't like that, but I get it to a certain extent. You can't pretend it didn't happen. Like, no, there was no championship game that year. There was. They played it. Someone won. Yeah. Also, like, not everybody on that fucking team. Yeah. You know, was doing something wrong, right? So. Yeah. Especially you talk about like NCAA violations. And it's yeah, like, like fucking NC. Fuck off, NCAA. Nobody gives a flying fuck about your morality because mm -hmm. you suck. Mm hmm. But well, we should definitely leave that in in the Aviators movie overview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it actually leads nicely to uh, the next quote from the movie that I really enjoyed. Well, thank God that's settled. I don't uh, remember what it's from. <laughs> I don't either. I'm trying to think. I'm not catching anything, but that's okay. Well, it's like he was asking Adam Scott's character to do something. Uh -huh. And Adam Scott kept kind of being like, well, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. You know, And he's like, yeah, you're going to do it. Thank God that's settled. Yeah. Yeah, actually, his character, I was like, okay. Yeah, his character had a couple of funny lines like that, actually, because he also had uh, where um, with the Errol Flynn character is there, and yeah. uh, Leo or Leo uh, Howard Hughes gets up and leaves abruptly, and he says, "Howard Hughes, everybody." Yeah, <laughs> another kind of funny little thing. I enjoyed that. We'll get to that scene though, because uh, you know it's just there's a couple of random. Well, like, the next people. scene, like really uncomfortable, also. Which was that? Call. It was like, it was very like Trumpy. He just like grabs her by the pussy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was a bit much. Well, I'm like, okay. First of all, did this really happen in a restaurant? Right. That's a good question. But okay, maybe it did. So let's say it did. Well, the weird part to me is I feel like this scene was trying to show how much of a ladies' man he is. Yeah. And I'm like, no. That's assault. Yeah, it's 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 showing he does not know how to take what was it no for an answer. Yeah, <laughs> I, so, I don't know if it was supposed to make us like him or what, but I, it was weird and I was very uncomfortable with it. 
Well, do you remember at the very beginning scene, another one that we don't like um, with the uncomfortable mother interaction? And it shows her, like, we see that he is standing there naked. And then we see her reaching. And it, like, and close it was, like, up right on her the hand. same angle. Uh-huh. And it ended up Where... being the silver. Yeah. But it looked like she was reaching for something else for a second. So yeah. I, I don't know if it's a uh, a comment on that again somehow where I don't know. I don't know. So he was reaching for soap under her dress. Got mm-hmm. it. I guess so. You know how hand washing. I actually find it interesting, you know, to I would think with his OCD that he mm-hmm. would not want to touch somebody's genitals without you think them. you think that sex in general would be off the table for him, don't you think? I kept thinking. I would that think way. that too. I yeah, I would but, think that he would be weird, really weirded out by that. Mm-hmm. But I guess not. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, lust can do a number on your brain. You know, like I, no, I, I still want to do this. I assume he stopped once. You know, if it got real, like when he's living in that room and never leaves, I assume he ceased with human interaction then. Well, he, I mean, but like, who's doing it? Yeah, that's true. Oh, I love fucking you next to your jars of piss. Yeah. <laughs> well, he could call, you know. You're doing a great job here, see? <laughs> you work for me now. Great work, Howard. <laughs> so I don't remember where we are now. <laughs> well, so, okay, so now we've gone back to the movie set, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he's talking to his engineer guy that doesn't age for 20 years. Yeah. And um, they're like, what if we took the top wing off? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, a monoplane. Yeah. Which uh, maybe this is how it how it happened. But it's <laughs> it's really kind of fascinating, actually. It feels like really he just invented monoplanes right here. Like, well, they so they they even say in that moment they're like, yeah, they're doing monoplanes in France. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So they acknowledge that he didn't invent it. You know, so I. When they this is what I found weird. Like, if the story was that he invented monoplanes, right? Mm-hmm. Then this is neat. It's a neat way of like cinematically showing you that he came up with the idea, right? Mm-hmm. But then they have that line in there where they're like, "Well, they're doing it over here," and I'm like, "Okay, so then what is this?" Yeah. So who cares? Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently, it means nothing. And I'm also what I'm. What I'm confused by on it too is like, okay, so this is supposed to be a movie depicting World War One aircraft, right? Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, he wouldn't have thought like, let's take the top wing off because that didn't happen in World mm-hmm. War One aircraft. So, anyway, no such thing existed. He just wanted it to be topless. He enjoys that. So you know, then he's going to hire a meteorologist to find him clouds. And yeah. um, we have Ian Holm, who I also yeah. did not know was in this, with a yeah. crazy German accent. Yeah, with a weird German accent, showing up repeatedly, doing weird stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, very kind of strange. I guess we're getting here is um, his obsessive, I guess, attention. Not even attention to detail, but obsessive, you know. I don't know what need to do things exactly the way he wants to do them. Well, yeah, and, and that he basically bought people mm-hmm. he threw his money around you know yeah. um which like you know i bet it's easy to be a renaissance man when you're born rich 
yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, so we already discussed this, but now he's like, so they finally he finally gets the movie in the can, and then he's like, I'm gonna reshoot the whole thing with sound. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild that he did that. We already spent more money than like anybody accepts as like legitimate, and let's spend double that. So here was the next part of this was crazy. So like there was a lot of like newsreel type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And this was part of the newsreel. And mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe you didn't catch it, but I I caught it and I was like, holy shit, this is just a throwaway line on a newsreel. Mm -hmm. So they're like, they're talking about how oh you know is hell Hell's Angel ever gonna come out? Hell's Angel ever gonna come out? And um, and they're like. Blah blah blah. Talking about they're just talking about the movie, and then it's like they just sort of throw away that they caused the death of sick pilots, and, and then just yeah, I know. I'm like what? <laughs> Hold on a second. Go back one. <laughs> it costs two million dollars and the death of three stunt pilots. Got it. Six. Six wasn't even better. <laughs> and then Crazy. we're going to go. That's a lot of deaths. We're going to go reshoot. Cost two billion dollars more. And who knows how many more deaths? Yeah. Well, you well, you see the scenes of some of the stunt flying there, and I can sort of buy it. Yeah, I know. And I, so, you know, he finally comes out, right? And he's walking the red carpet uh, for his premiere with Gene Harlow, who's Gwen mm. Stefani, randomly. Again. Which but, I also yeah. was like, what, Gwen Stefani? Yeah, okay. Well, not saying she can't be in this movie. I just don't know why she is. And then um, I thought it was interesting the way they depicted the bulbs being on the ground. I know, know that that actually was a very striking. It's amazing to me that they allowed that to be the case back then. Yeah, it seems like a shard blast everywhere. I'm getting like, the impression that in the olden days they just didn't care. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> this this part also struck me as very odd in the film. It was so they're watching. He's like like freaking out watching his movie, mm -hmm. right? you know i i understandably right i'm not bashing that mm -hmm. part of it but what i thought was weird is that it ended and everybody was kind of sitting there mm -hmm. and then it was like okay just like and then all of a sudden it was this raucous rousing mm -hmm. round of applause and i'm like that does not make any sense mm -hmm. it was kind of an odd note to keep us like on the edge of our seats about because yeah like what a weird like cinematic thing to do like mm -hmm. i why? You and know? it wasn't it wasn't like the big dramatic finish of the movie where it's like, is is he going to receive a round of applause? He didn't the movie's over. No, this is like the very beginning. I found that to be very weird to go from such like a tepid response mm -hmm. to like this like you know this really big enthusiastic reaction. It Absolutely. was just weird. And then we go to the golf scene with now he's with Catherine Hepburn. So mm -hmm. That was was an interesting, uh, and I get it. We're doing a biopic. We're trying to condense twenty years into into three hours. Yeah. So I'm not trying to bash that there was some quick cuts here, but it was definitely like, oh, okay, we're okay. So he's golfing with Catherine Hepburn now. Got it. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> he walks up to her, says, "I heard you golf," and she says, "Yes, I do." And then they went golfing, and we're kind of that was a right good here. imitation of of her accent there. By the way, really, but yes, yeah, I do. <laughs> what I'm really doing is I'm imitating Kate Blanchett, imitating Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun to do. I could do the whole. Maybe I'll do a whole podcast episode like that. Not this yeah. one. 
That sounds great. <laughs> uh, that was just like your reaction to the musical suggestion. <clears throat> yes, you should do that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, well, but no, uh, actually, this uh, you the, uh, you mentioned the uh, the filming technique here. This is one of the parts where you can you can see the color being interesting, right? Yep. And I and I wrote about it because um, I found it to be very odd. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was sort of odd because we're establishing that this is around 1932. This is when FDR was mm -hmm. running against Hoover, right? It's, it was interesting to me that Catherine Hepburn is lecturing Howard on voting. Yeah. Because, like, she will would have been able to vote for, like, 12 years at that point. Which, okay, you know, I, that's that's a significant amount of time, I suppose. But it just it felt like just surprising you know yeah um absolutely uh i i guess i just got the impression the scene was supposed to just be that very like hey look it's gathered up uh, with the rapid fire repartee back and forth the very opinionated very forward um kind of opinions and everything like that it's do you happen to know if she golfed in real life like a lot because that might just be the, yes. something she did a lot. Yeah. Because it reminded me pretty immediately of uh, the Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn movie, Bringing Up Baby, because they meet on a golf course in that movie. Like, that's where the two characters meet and eventually fall in love. And then later, a couple of scenes from now, they are they play um, I Can't Give You Anything But Love on the soundtrack. And that's a big song from that movie. So maybe I was just, maybe I was uh, just looking out for Catherine Hepburn movie references. I have never seen a Catherine Hepburn movie. Well, you could start with Bringing Up Baby, I guess. Yeah, I'll start with whatever the fuck I want to start with. Um, <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> like such a ridiculously aggressive response to that. Don't you um, tell me what to start with. <laughs> I, but I, it was interesting. She was like, you're deaf, you know? Mm -hmm. Just admit yeah. you're deaf. And I, I forgot to mention this earlier with like I was I didn't understand that he was deaf. I didn't no, know if I, I was, she was joking. To, yeah, I didn't know that I was supposed to know that before she said that. But you mm -hmm. remember when he was on the red carpet with Gene Harlow and they mm -hmm. I was like, you know, what are you gonna do now? And he was just mm -hmm. like, It's a good picture. To <laughs> <laughs> answer any of these questions, okay. I thought he was I thought he was distracted, you know, like I thought mm -hmm. he couldn't focus or whatever and it you know but then i guess it turns out he was kind of deaf I, I don't know was literally deaf maybe from flying airplanes i don't know it's just it's weird to me that we needed a backstory about his, about his illness yeah but, but we don't need to know that he was that he went deaf we partially. don't need to know that he literally was was hard of hearing yeah like it's i really, actually that was kind of strange as well it's a bizarre it's, it, there were some there were some decisions in this that I find very bizarre. I I agree. Um, I thought she was like pulling his like like making fun of him. You know, me and too. I thought she was being like you know, and then it like kept coming up. I'm like, oh, okay, so he's he's can't hard of hearing. Okay, I guess he actually can't hear too well. Okay, then. Yeah. And then like, sort of at one point he's like, well, everybody knows I'm deaf, and I'm mm -hmm. like, well, how come we? <laughs> No, I would have liked to have known. <laughs> you could have told us. Yeah, that was weird. But um, it's interesting. I didn't realize that Howard Hughes was like such a visionary. 
Um, I didn't either. I just thought he was a wacko. I, you know, I didn't know much about him. I, like, mm -hmm. I think I knew more about him when I was younger than I than I do now. Mm -hmm. So I think when I first saw the Aviator, I knew more about him than I did when I saw the Aviator this time. <laughs> just sort of telling for timelessness here. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Not to get ahead of ourselves. But uh, we've already kind of... Yeah, we're kind of giving point. away where this is, yeah. this is headed. Um, but... Yeah, I, I also Jude Law as Errol Flynn is like kind of perfect casting. Yeah, actually, that was that was quite good. Again, no idea. I don't know why there were so many casting choices in this movie that came out of left field for me, but he worked really well. He was very convincing and very much a cad, which I, I understand that he was like a real dickhead. Nobody right. liked him. Exactly. So and it was it, I just felt like Jude. I was like, "Yep, I can see Jude Law being Errol Flynn. That, mm -hmm. that, I buy that." Mm -hmm. um, although I will say, again, getting ahead of ourselves here, why the fuck was he even a character in this movie? Kind of didn't need to be, yeah. except other for, than to say, "Look, he knew Errol Flynn." Yep. Uh, yeah, his Hollywood connections, I guess, really was all that was. It, it felt a lot like Martin was. Martin Scorsese is very enamored with filmmaking. Uh huh. I, I actually. I don't write things down, but if I did write things down while watching movies, I would have written that down. Yeah, exactly. That like he's just so into movies about movies. Yes. Like, have you seen Hugo? I haven't, but I want to. Um, I love that movie, but it is very much a, a, a love message to movies. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I love mm -hmm. movies too. But it maybe didn't you know, fit. Like he's like, oh, Errol Flynn. I could put Errol Flynn on this because he knew him. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, put this person in because he just happened to, you know, have a, mm -hmm. a discussion with him once. It's like, but <laughs> that's not really the thing here. Um, Although I did like the fight that <laughs> the random cartoonish fight that breaks out. Oh, I know. After, right after before Adam Scott just is not getting the hint about leaving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, nah, we'll be here all night. Mm hmm. Okay, so, great, thanks. So I liked I liked the weird Bugs Bunny nature of that one. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm Tasmanian, you son of a bitch. Yeah, I um, I also so we're in this very random club, by the way. Mm -hmm. And it, it just was like, were there really clubs like this where they were just like dumping glitter for the entire time you're there? Yeah, I if there were, I, I hope there were because for fun purposes, they're fun to imagine. And uh, I like to think that I would have been uh, frequented at one of these places, although I would not have had any money. So I don't know how I would have gone to them. <laughs> it was it was bizarre. But more bizarre was the singer flailing his arms like a wacky inflatable arm flailing <laughs> guy. The singer there. Was that Rufus Wainwright? I thought it was. I have no idea, but he was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know who he was, but he was a goofball. Yeah, that was him. I thought it was. Okay, so now, you know, Catherine and, and, and Howard. And, and that's enough about him. <laughs> well, okay. Who is he? He's, he's just a singer. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, so Howard and, and Catherine, as they sneak away, right? Yeah. And feeling the same about this interaction with Errol Flynn. Well, I mean, who fucking steals a pee off of somebody's plate? One pee with his bare hands. Yeah. I, I'm not a germaphobe, but I wouldn't have loved that. You know? Yeah. 
if some random person who I had just met reached across and took food off of my plate, mm-hmm. I've been like, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Flynn. There's like, I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not like the type of guy that's like, I'm an alpha male and I want to get mm-hmm. in fights or anything. But this guy, you know, I fucking stabbed him with my goddamn fork, you know? <laughs> What I would, t- I would, I, you know, what I would, what I would love to do in that situation actually is, I would love to be like, you know what? Why don't you come out to eat with me and my dad? <laughs> See what happens if you steal peas off of his plate. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I at like fourteen fucked with my dad and pretended to take a Dorito. So I, I like tucked the Dorito into my hand mm-hmm. and then reached out to his bag and then like pull you know like the like the magician trick you know mm-hmm. pulled it out and then it was like going back and he grabbed my hand his mouth is full he grabs my hand mm-hmm. and i'm like i'm just kidding dad it's my dorito i'm just kidding he's like and then this is what he said don't fuck with me john i'm eating <laughs> he really was eating it's true <laughs> mouth full don't fuck with me john <laughs> And I still haven't woken up from the beating he gave me. <laughs> and he like he's not a violent guy or anything, but like but you know, not, no, don't mess with his food though. Yeah, you don't get in between him and food. Um. Anyway, so they're in the plane now, and for whatever reason, I don't know if you felt this way, but it felt like they were aimed down, like the whole time they were flying. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, why are they going towards the ground this whole time? <laughs> that doesn't seem like how you're supposed to fly a plane. I'm like kind of worried about Howard Hughes. Like, no wonder he's crashed four fucking planes. Yeah. He's like, you go towards the ground, right? You just go into the ground. I mean, I you kind of always are falling, you know, like in a sense, a little bit like how orbiting the earth is constant falling. But I mean, you don't actually want to just aim directly down. Right. You don't aim the nose down. <laughs> That's just not how that works. I'm going to help gravity. Um, <laughs> no, I think I don't think you need all help. the work. <laughs> um but but I, I was actually struck by so you know he, he's like you can fly and then he comes around behind her and he's like it just reminded me of barbie oh which part the when he's like teaching her to fly you know and he's uh-huh. behind her and he's like showing her how to do it and in in the bar oh with the, with she, like, she, she, let yeah. me show you how to play sports or whatever yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> well uh, I, I thought I kind of thought like, oh well, what a, what a cheesy move. But she was into it, so whatever. Well, you know, that's like um, I had a girl do that to me once, actually. When I was, so she taught you how to fly? No, no, <laughs> no, no. She did the. Uh, she clearly liked me, and I was, you know, still pretty naive. And she was just like, "Could you show me how to shoot pool?" <laughs> like, I was stand like, be- like stand behind me and put your arms around me kind of i was like sure and then i did it and this is that basic training by the way when you're not mm-hmm. supposed to be doing stuff like that and uh and i did it and she you know she was like obviously like into it but the reality is like you know you're into that because you're trying to get close to the person yeah you know it's not like i don't think anybody's like oh my god please just just take control of my arms and mm-hmm. you know do everything for me maybe she was i don't know i mean that's not that, that's not how that goes no wonder i'm having a hard time 
What do you mean you're having a hard time? You've been married for like 10 years. You have no idea. And then we get Howard giving Catherine milk. Yeah, his, his... Right after that. Here's another thing that kind of bugs me. It might have been true. It might have been like perfectly the case. But like so he he has like we see this memory of him being erotic with his mother, right? Mm-hmm. And we get his uh infatuation with memories, right? Okay. And the only thing he drinks is milk. Like yeah. I'm not saying that it wasn't true or accurate to the real person. I just wonder how much emphasis we really needed on it. I don't know. It was a bit much. It was it was a little bit on the nose. And also, just made for awkward scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, this is awkward. And maybe it's supposed to be like, look, they're both awkward. But mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, you know, I just... Uh, I don't know how you go from like him being kind of smooth and showing her how to fly and she's into it to like, here, drink some milk. Would you like some milk? She's like, yeah, sure. Is it pasteurized? He's like, always. Yeah. Ultra pasteurized. Don't worry. I'm going to piss in this later. Yeah. Um, I saved the bottles. (laughs) Recycling. I'm ahead of my time. Um, Not just on monoplanes. And I asked this question, but didn't ever look it up. And maybe you know, but are Kate Blanchett and Leo the same age? Um, I think not. I, I don't know. I said I think not. I don't know <laughs> because Leo looks like a lot younger than her. Uh, he's always looked so young, is the thing. I know, and I feel like Kate Blanchett is like so. She doesn't look like old, but I feel like when she was twenty, she looked like she was thirty-five, and now that she's fifty, she still looks like she's thirty-five. You know. Hey. Kate Blanchett is 54. He is 48 currently. So she is a few years oh, old. So she was six years older than Ellis. Mm-hmm. That's kind of significant back probably then. Yeah, especially since they were in their, I don't know, mid 30s and late 30s, early 40s, I think maybe. Well, it's 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And so she, you said she's 54 and he's 46 or 48? Uh, 48, yes. Yeah. So he would have been in his twenties, and oh. she would have been in her thirties. So, so that could be I fairly different. Thirty-five, and I'm like, that's pretty spot on, actually. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, anyway, all right. So then it makes a little bit more sense to me. I I did enjoy the you know so they show like a little love scene here, mm-hmm. right? And they show his hand on her back. Mm-hmm. And then his hands on a fuselage. Yeah, exactly. I actually thought that was kind of a cool transition. Um, it's if it weren't for everything else that was so on the nose, like we mentioned, I might have liked it more. But at that this point, true. I'm getting a little bit like, all right, I understand. You don't need to, <laughs> usually you don't hit me quite so much over the head with this, Marty. But that's okay. It wasn't like a huge thing; just one of those things. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And so now he's going to crash a plane, right? His his spy plane, he crashes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he crash lands the plane on the farm. What is with the colors? Um, That's a good question. <laughs> that's something I had thought of. but Once again, I mean, I guess they said it's a beet farm, but, like, the colors mm-hmm. are very odd. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, I asked that question and I already know it's because he was probably doing some fucking, 
you know, technicolor, whatever nonsense. And I'm just like, you know, but the color to them didn't look like that. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> I just, I, I can't help it. I'm like, do you think that like in 1910, everybody saw in black and white? All right. Anyway. <laughs> Real life was in black and white then. You didn't know. Yeah. Um, do you do you think that Howard Hughes was actually that self-aware about his mental illness? Maybe he was. He he might have known that he doesn't. I mean, you get used to it, but at the same time, he might have also known. Hey, I, I do have to get. Like for instance, he knew later when he's repeating things because he was able to stop himself occasionally. Right. So something along those lines where he kind of knows, hey, I got to get a hold of myself here. Okay. Because, I mean, when he's talking to Catherine Hepburn, he's he's being very, like, open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where it, it seems like he's very, very aware of his, uh, his, his mental health. Mm-hmm. But it is nice how good Catherine is to him with that. Mm-hmm. She's very... Yeah. And then we get Alec Baldwin. I don't know where again. I, I apparently did not look at the cast like, list. Really? For this Alec movie. Baldwin? Yeah. All right. You say so as the weird, also evil airline head guy, because I want to say that <laughs> Howard was so great. It's weird that he's portrayed as the villain. Um, I don't know. It just feels to me like he just kind of came up with the idea of having a monopoly before Howard did. Yeah, exactly. You could very easily you could make a movie where Howard is just as much the villain. So, right. then again, we're all the hero of our own lives. So, but I will say Howard really was a Renaissance man. I mean, mm-hmm. he he had a lot of ideas. Um, I, mean, he, I mean, he had ideas about planes. He had ideas about um, movies. Movies about planes. Um, memories. Well, he, did, he was he everywhere. Did, he did Scarface. You know, he did Scarface and that the outlaw movie, the one that. Get some put in front of the board yeah. <laughs> with the memories <laughs> anyway. But now where he's gonna visit Catherine Hepburn's family's estate, yeah, you know? because she apparently she, she does movies where she comes from those sorts of backgrounds, but um, none of which you've seen. But um, <laughs> I didn't realize that she actually that's just the way she was, that's her actual life. All righty then, and I always think it was like, man, I want to have an estate. Yeah, no, why can't I have an estate? You know, yeah, everybody's playing croquet and doing all sorts of wacky, uh, eccentric Nobody things all over the world. You know, yeah, we don't talk. We don't care about money here. Yeah, wonder why. Well, I mean, I like that he he says he stood that, up but, to her. Yeah, but yeah. actually, that but, kind of made me hate Catherine Hepburn's family. This entire interaction. Oh, I know, and I think that was like the point. But I felt like. Why? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, why the fuck is her ex-husband there? Good question. I think it's one that he would have wanted an answer to as well. I uh, am not one prone to jealousy, but I would not love that. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, no shit. My reaction would have been much like his. Like, wait, what? Why? Why is your yeah. ex-husband here exactly? Oh, he's, oh, he's always here. My family loves him. Well, that's you know? nice. Good like, for him, I guess. Great, yeah. So... Do, do they not see uh, sort of a conflict of interest here? You know, and then um, and then they're sitting next to each other at dinner, and Howard's across the table. Like, 
now before they even brought up the whole money thing you know like before they even said we don't like money and he said his bit mm -hmm. they said we're all socialists here you know yeah. and i just was like of course the super rich family is is socialist you know mm -hmm. yeah until fucking lenin comes and says hey you're we're taking all of your uh your property yeah I'd be like wait but no we're we're capitalist but actually we like capitalism better um yeah catherine's mother is a bitch absolutely sure. but the, but like you were kind of saying there the family just has no bearing on the rest of the movie so it's kind of odd yeah i'm not sure if it's getting us on his side or I don't know what. I think it's just so. I think that the only thing that that was doing was to say this relationship is in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is the beginning of the end of their relationship because it's been good up until this moment. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I, you know, that's fine, I guess. But with a lot of this movie, you're like. I don't know that we needed to spend this much time with this unless you were going to spend more time with it later, you know? Absolutely, 100%. And not only that, um, I I get maybe if you're trying to pad out a movie or something like that, or it's just like one of those slow character things, like where not much happens in the movie, you just spend a lot of time with or in the character. But like, did we need it in a two-hour, 50-minute movie? Was, it, right. was this really what needed to be in the final cut? No, because, I mean, you're you're, you know... I mean, you could have just left it at like, you could have had just a few moments where there's distance. There's obvious distance because he's working too much, right? Yeah. And and then she feels lonely and she she fucks the you know Spencer Tracy, mm -hmm. right? Or yeah, or yeah, show that uh, you know he's working too much and he's got all these starlets that are always hanging all over him. It's not right. hard to, to yeah. build some distance between them. Exactly, and they, and they do that mm -hmm. later. So like this, or this, you know, I'm just anyway. Um, and then so soon after this, we get that you don't care about money because you always you've always had it. And I I like that he said it. Mm -hmm. I do think it's ironic. Yeah, because at what point did you not have money? Howie, yeah, you know? he even says earlier that he inherited his parents' money, so it's not like he's a self-made man exactly, but. Right. But he does work, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I'll give him that. But I also, so here's the thing about people with with money. You're born with money, and then you can tell other people, I've got this idea, make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All of his, all of the things that he did to give himself success were awfully buoyed by the fact that he was able to mortgage right. his entire company for the fight for the capital or whatever. Well, but he also had like smart engineers that were like, "Okay, I'll try to build that for you." Yeah, he's, you know, so he's like, "I'm presenting an idea. I want a a slick fuselage. I want no. I want completely. Want it to be completely aerodynamic, right?" Mm -hmm. That's not him being an engineer. That's just him being like, "I think it would fly faster." And you know, <laughs> I'm rich. Yeah. And I want to fly faster. And he says, "Get it done." And then they're like, "All right, I guess we're doing that." Yeah, and like you know. I'm not saying that there's no need for a person like that, but let's not, I don't know. Let's not pretend like he's the hero here. Like, you know, the, the engineer is big. I'm sure that there's plenty of engineers out there be like, I'd like to do that, but I don't have the money for it. You know? Yeah. So he leaves. Um, and now, you know, they're, they're in trouble, right? The relationship's in trouble. Um, 
we we're gonna there he's gone to the hercules now he's got this new idea for a flying boat right mm -hmm. and he's like i didn't say it was gonna be easy yeah and uh and then we go straight into talking about memories <laughs> pretty much sure who doesn't like tits <laughs> which i feel like he's got a point but then i guess we do find the the one room full of guys who don't yeah or at least one of them really doesn't yeah this is where i would have gotten in trouble he was more charming and was able to talk his way out of all the a lot of these things than i would have been like later with alan alda i would have gotten myself in a lot of trouble he was able to get out of it here i would have gotten myself in a lot of trouble too because i would have been like do you not like memories sir like what exactly do you have against them <laughs> so now we, we're going to go back and we see some more of uh, the Catherine Hepburn, Howard Hughes relationship being in trouble. And he's like going, he, you know, she's upset that he's out with all these other women. She's like, this makes me look stupid. We're engaged. I mean, you know, I can't see your point. Yeah, no shit. And he's just like, what? You know, I have to do this. And I'm like, <laughs> what? how crazy is it? To live in fucking Hollywood. I know. I have to go out with I all have these to be beautiful young women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait a second, you have to? I'm not sure that's the case, but all right. But it's like almost believable, you mm -hmm. know? Like I'm the producer of the film. I have to showcase <laughs> my talent. Yep. I gotta hang out with this 15-year-old. Oh, I know. That was weird. Um that's coming that's, up. That, that's coming up. That was definitely like, ooh. Um, but now we're gonna see data. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. <laughs> Which I wasn't expecting. Took me by surprise as well. This movie's just full of weirdos. <laughs> it's like they just were throwing darts at a wall and we're like, we're going to cast Brent Spiner. There we are. <laughs> but we've got, we're in the, uh, you know, she's like, don't you dare pick up that phone. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he picks up the phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I guess this is, this is ending the relationship. That's basically. Um, but then it doesn't for some reason is like we continue on and she's fuck spencer tracy and then she ends it yeah i get the feeling that that was the only thing that was going to end it was her actually ending it yeah, yeah doing something to actually cut it because he was just gonna like go on doing whatever he was doing and i don't know they, i don't i don't know that they i didn't get much of a sense of them actually loving one another at all but i don't know well because like when they're at like her family for each other maybe yeah i could see that because but like when they're at their family's house and he's like oh you're a different person in there and she says you know there's only one kate but i'm the one with you and i'm like really because i don't know it doesn't seem like she's any different with him well she was more bubbly like yeah i guess you're right because i mean with errol flint she's like give me the fuck out of here you know that's true I don't be around yeah. people we all are but yeah anyway i don't know i i felt sad for their relationship that was fine. So, it you know it got me a little bit. Uh, I did didn't really understand why he needed to burn all his clothes though. Well, uh, we're gonna get to a point where we don't understand why he felt like he needed to do a lot of things. And <laughs> it was it was a cleansing ritual, you see. But yeah, and then he's like, "Did I tell you to get him pennies or?" Yeah, it's <laughs> pennies and uh, Woolworth, and, and then he ended up with Sears. Just a list of stores I didn't know existed back then. And I like that <laughs> after John C. Rowley hangs on the phone, he said, I'm sorry, honey, but you know, if I don't pick it up, he's just going to keep calling. Yep. 
So I like how the, the John C. Reilly has learned at this point. <laughs> He's working for Howard Hughes how to deal with him. And I, I yeah, I liked it. It was like it was a it was actually a very humanizing moment. Um, mm -hmm. it felt real. But then we cut to the the most tension in a nothing conversation ever between Alec Baldwin and uh and Howard Hughes. Mm -hmm. Or what Juan Trip. Yeah. Just kind of a weird name. That's it right. was a weird name for Alec Baldwin to be playing, and I was like, "Was this guy actually Hispanic, or was yeah. he a white guy named Juan?" Like, I guess right. sometimes you'll get white guys named Juan. It just seems kind of out of nowhere. I know. It seems like you would just name him John. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, I mean, <laughs> or maybe he was Spanish, right? Could be That's Spanish. true. <laughs> Excuse me, some white guys are Spanish. <laughs> it is in Europe. I'm gonna like look them up right now. Like how Spain is like the third or fourth place we think of. We think of Spanish language. Oh, wow, he is he is super white. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean he's just a he's just a, a white guy. <laughs> he's just a regular old white guy who somehow got the name Juan. No one knows how. Yeah, he actually looks really familiar. I think he, he looks like an actor. I think he took it out of the Lost and Found at the train station. Anyway, all right. So, yeah, right. Um, where where were we? On? Oh, they're they're talking buttons, buttons, yeah. zippers, and it's 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 intense. Well, that's the thing is the intensity there. Sorry, I yawned for that. Um, it's okay. Was like very strange, and then you realize, then you learn why it's strange because he's worried about. Um, spying and then stealing his ideas and everything like that but yeah. like it's but like when you say it's an intense conversation for no reason it, it does feel like okay why what am i missing here why are yeah. why are these two having this weird verbal like chess match about buttons <laughs> or zippers yeah it was it was very strange is um it, is this is he with the 15 year old at this point i think I think she's at Oh yeah, time, she's right? in she's there for that. Yeah. I forgot nope. I didn't even I was so weirded out I didn't even write it down. <laughs> yeah, not oh. not that it matters especially, but again with the him thinking he can buy people because he's like, You're gonna be under contract for me. I know that what, was bizarre. What, as a girlfriend? I don't understand what he's Yeah, an indentured girlfriend, I guess. Yeah, I um, guess so. Who's you know, who's take, who's trying to finish high school? Um she's like, Gotta get me home, I got homework and like gotta be home by eight. But, but then uh, they show her as being crazy later, like she loved him so much. And yeah. I'm like, did she? Yeah. <laughs> she knew him for five seconds and is 15. Yeah. I guess that fits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it was interesting going from Robert McCall's OCD to, you yeah. know, <laughs> Meanwhile, Robert McCall's like, hey, Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> And then, Willem Willem and then we get Willem Dafoe. And then Willem Dafoe out of nowhere in a very yeah. small role. Yeah. You could have cast me in that role. Nobody would have noticed. <laughs> I know. But no, they needed Willem Dafoe. He's like, I'll do anything for you, Marty. Yeah. It was, you know, it was interesting that, that Howard was still protecting Catherine. Yeah. You know. But again, why is this in here? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we're I, I we're like trying to establish this wonderful relationship that they have, right? This friendship that they have. Mm -hmm. But even at the end, she's not the one who saves them. Nope, it's, it's Ava Gardner. 
Mm -hmm. And she shows up at the door and she's like, Howard, talk to me. And, you know, he's just like, I'm not going to talk to you. And she's like, okay, right. goodbye. I'm out yeah, of the that's the, that's it. That's the we're done with her care with her as a character. Fine, I'll like, leave the movie. Why did we spend so much time with her? That's a good question. I mean, if you were gonna make the movie about their relationship, then make it about the relation. Anyway, okay. I think it might have been a stronger movie if it had been uh, if it had focused on something like the relationship between the two of them specifically. Yeah. If you know, there's been so I think biopics have gone through kind of a. Uh, a transition you know mm -hmm. i think the first biopics that we experienced were very like okay this is their their whole life mm -hmm. and um and i think people have started to realize like well you can't tell somebody's whole life in two hours yeah you, know? you just can't even, um, even biographies that are 900 not 900 pages but you know multiple hundreds of pages have a hard time getting through people's lives so yeah exactly and so I have noticed that in more recent years, biopics tend to focus on one like specific time period or mm -hmm. uh, experience or moment. Mm -hmm. Or at least, yeah, have a central thing that it keeps coming back to. Right. Even if it goes far afield of that. Right. And I think it's better. I think it's, mm -hmm. you're, it's better served that way. But for a movie. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to do a TV show, then fine, you know. Um, anyway, so I, I didn't even realize that Alan Alda was this guy at first, this Senator. Yeah. Like when he first shows up, I'm like, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me, but I'm like, oh, it's Alan Alda. Check All right. Um, and I'm like, and I'm like, who, who's playing Ava Gardner here? Right. At yeah. first. And I'm like, oh, it's Kate Beckinsale, which, by the way, apparently was supposed to be Gwyneth Paltrow, but she uh, she ended up backing out. Really? Yep. Now, it's kind of funny because I was thinking Kate Blanchett and um, Jude Law were both in The Talented Mr. Ripley, which Gwyneth Paltrow was also in. That's right. Um, all we need to do is get Matt Damon on the phone. But, you know, Leo and Marty would work with him in a few years. <laughs> I feel like Kate Beckinsale was actually a better person to play Ava Gardner than Gwyneth Paltrow would have been. Absolutely. But I, I'm almost thinking that that's because brunette and blonde, which yeah. would be kind of silly. Like, she could dye her hair. <laughs> Trying to imagine Gwyneth Paltrow as a, as a brunette, though, is a little strange. It is, um, right? No, Kate Beckinsale had a good presence as Ava Gardner there, because she's she has a lot of, I don't want to say spunk, because that makes it sound like I'm making fun of her, but she's she's got a lot of willfulness, which is kind of what you need to have with Howard Hughes. Yeah. And uh, she does a good job portraying that sort of strength where she's not going to be bought, for instance. The one person in his life he's not going to be able to buy. I also am like, she's gorgeous. Mm. She's like <laughs> a really beautiful woman. I, I'm just she like... Fits, she fits the time period too well. It's, I yeah. assume why she was cast in that horrible Pearl Harbor movie. <laughs> not, um, that I've, not that I've seen it, but I'm also not going to be seeing it. So... <laughs> I saw it. We're not letting the, we're not, oh man, if you pick that as one of the action movies. <laughs> I'll take so many Michael Bay movies over that. Well, that might be the first Michael Bay movie we do. We'll see. Nope, I'm going to talk you into The Rock, and it's not going to be that hard to talk you into it. I don't know you like that it movie. really won't be that hard to talk you <laughs> into The Rock. Or Bad Boys, or Con Air. That's true. He, he, did he direct Bad Boys too as well? I can't remember if he did both of them. I'm told the first two are good. I don't know about the third one. 
I think the third one was better than the second. I think oh. actually the third one was the best one. All right, never mind. That's the opposite of what I thought I had I had seen. Um, right. let me. I've been putting it off, but let me run to the bathroom. Okay. Uh oh, we're we're getting really into uh his OCD stuff. You know, like he's, uh-huh. he's getting bad. This oh yeah. Is, uh, this is where he starts going. Let me see the blueprints. Let me see the let me see the blueprints. Let me see the blueprints. Yeah, that part. All the blueprints it, or whatever. It, it kind of um didn't come out of nowhere because they'd been building to it, but it really, really striking. Like it, it was. Just, wow! Suddenly, this is not good. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was, <laughs> it, it seemed was, like the movie was glitching there for a second or something, which was, you know, the reality was kind of glitching for him. Yeah, it was actually very affecting. Mm-hmm. And this is so another part of this whole thing is like you know we never chose a lane here mm-hmm. and i have to say that with leo's performance here the lane of mental health for mm-hmm. howard Hughes would have been a good lane to pick it, it would have been um he does a, a very commendable job at it and it's an easy it's an easy thing to get um to go way too far on and to like exaggerate and like you know not go full you know full uh rain man or whatever they call it um (laughs) i can't remember oh right it's just the word that i don't feel like saying but but i thought you threw that on purpose but yeah yeah, so it's not go full crazy guy yeah um but no yeah i think they actually towed the line fairly well yeah i i agree i felt like I felt like his. I, I think it was that they showed him as being self-aware, you mm-hmm. know. So mm-hmm. like he knows there's a problem, mm-hmm. and that it sort of adds a unique element because I feel like a lot of times with the crazy, it's like they portray them as not knowing that they have a problem, which is not that that's not true of people. Yeah, but this makes for a more nuanced performance. Uh huh. You know? And like say in um say uh, a beautiful mind right he doesn't know that he has schizophrenia throughout most of that movie so it's a surprise when he does and that fits that particular mental illness since right kind of that's your reality this one it's easy to get used to this sort of thing like when he's we're not we're not in the part where he's in the room yet we're stuck in the room yet not to reference any other oscar nominees from previous years but he when when we get there it's like he's used to it you get kind of used to it after a second but he's still kind of aware it's it's weird you know because alec baldwin comes to see him and he right he he's knows like, like oh shit, i'm still in this room yeah i still i still haven't bathed i'm not wearing clothes like that's not good like so he does have a level of you get used to it but at the same time it's not normal and right you know deep down it is it's it's pretty well done yeah i agree um and then we get his his another plane crash. Yeah. Um, and I was Crashing like, left and right. I know. I was like, man, how many times did Howard Hughes really crash a plane this many times? He actually crashed four times. Yeah. And survived four plane crashes. Like Jesus. And was this the this was the one that like really got me because I was like, did this really happen? Because this looks really intense. Yeah, this, and I looked at like it just, was real. Yeah, he didn't just come down like in a field too hard or some shit. Like he's crashing into houses and shit. Whatever though. Yeah. It's it's crazy that he survived that. Mm-hmm. Well, he kind of almost didn't. So, yeah. 
kind of made a really impressive recovery in some ways, given no that, he, that he's up and walking around. Just, you know, he's obviously has a cane and everything. But well, Let's cut to the doctor's explanation of his condition. It was just mm -hmm. like, yeah, he's dead. Yep. <laughs> Too bad. Oh, well, goodbye. It's like, okay, doc, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm going to explain this to his next of kin, John C. Riley. And, and well, and now so yeah, right. And now so he, we cut to him like now. I guess he's better, and he's uh, he's got a cane, and and um, he's with Ava Gardner, and mm -hmm. <laughs> she's like, "You're listening to my calls." I would never listen to your calls. I'm just reading the transcripts. Yeah, that part struck me as like a. Are you trying to be funny? Because <laughs> yeah. that is a little funny. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. If it was real life, I'd be awfully mad. <laughs> he, yeah, he's not. He's he's. I don't know if the a big accident like that can exacerbate mental health issues, but I would imagine it could. Like, really make yeah. him that much worse as far as far as being paranoid and everything like that. Um, but because, because we get we got earlier when he's. I think he's talking to John C. Riley, and he's like, "Have you? Are you recording this call?" And he's like, "No. <laughs> Why would I be recording this?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and and now he's actually actively recording people's phone calls, I guess, to make sure they're not recording him. I don't know what exactly his mindset is, but we're seeing he's not. He's really doing less and less well. Yeah. And then, and and on top of that, to add to his paranoia, the F, the FBI actually start looking into him. Yeah, that's like it's gonna make it any better. Um, so then he's gonna meet with this fucking piece of shit senator, Alan Alda, um, and he's obviously you know this guy's he's got all the information on Hughes, and he's gonna make this the most uncomfortable dinner ever, right? Hold on, can we go back like just very briefly because I want to mention the house that Ava Gardner was living in in the scene. I don't know if she actually lived in it. But it's the John Souden house. It's in um, Santa Clara, California, and it's a gorgeous house. Frank Lloyd Wright designed it. It was during his Mayan revival phase. Beautiful house. L.A. has some of the best houses you'll ever find. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright designed two or three just in the L.A. area, and uh, lovely building. Moving on. I thought Frank Lloyd Wright was kind of considered overrated. Uh, I I don't know <laughs> by whom. <laughs> I'd like to talk to them. I'll give them a real, really, as uh, as uh, real Woody, talking to say, as Woody Allen says, really sit that, really explain it to him. <laughs> really shouldn't be quoting Woody Allen, but let's move well, on. You know, we got two. He, you know, he, exactly. He speaking, minors, Howard yes. minors, <laughs> speaking of dating fifteen-year-olds, yeah. Of course, um, this is in nineteen thirty something. He's dating fifteen, which is a little bit not good, but it's better than nineteen, you know, eighty something doing it. Whatever it was, yeah. Yep. Also, not his daughter. Yeah. Um, or his... Also, you're right. It being your daughter actually also does make it worse. Not that it's <laughs> good. It's never good. But there are levels of that one is worse. Let's move on. People are going to um, be listening to this. Like, how exactly did they get on this? <laughs> no, you don't um, want to date your daughter. Is what you don't want to do. Yeah. It's not. It's not a good. Uh, it's not a good thing. Um. So. We're we're getting into Owen being a real piece of shit here, the senator. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. And I don't know how Howard held it together during this whole thing. Me neither. Given that we see him walk out the door and basically immediately not hold it together, uh, very impressive on his part. Yeah, um, I liked this scene because at first we've seen him 
like obsessing over things and having mental breaks and everything like that. So it seems like when he's obsessing over the painting of the llama, he's just being weird, like repeating yeah. things like he does and fixating on strange things because mm -hmm. he's talking about the llama and he's saying, how do you spell that? Um, Etc. And it's like, oh God, he's having, having another break, but he had a reason, which is to bring it up the, the flying there. Right. Um, so I thought that was interesting because we thought that he was being a little crazy again, but he was actually being quite shrewd. Yeah. No, he was a smart guy. That's for sure. Um, which will come back later in his in his interactions with Alan Alda's character, because Alan Alda says, "Oh, drop the whatever, drop the whatever, a sell to TWA to Pan Am." Yeah, Company, companies that I don't do they exist anymore? I don't know. Neither um, of them do. Yeah, just just the other ones that don't matter, United and American, but uh, <laughs> and Spirit, but uh, well, they're plucky. They got a lot of spirit. They got a lot um, of spirit. They're, they're like Kate Beckinsale. Um, so, <laughs> so now now he's gonna. This is like right after this is when he gets stuck in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we get a real weird exposition with Leo in the milk and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where he's got to have the milk brought in. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I don't know if it's a if it's a fact that you can get milk like they pasteurize it and seal it and stuff and that's why he drinks it or if it's the mammary thing okay like, uh, like i'm like i'm tempted to be the, the motherly kind of kind of thing going on because he's in that room and he's got that one clip of jane russell bending over over and over again. <laughs> so it just feels a little well i guess if you're going to be stuck in a room watching one movie clip over and over again that one's not bad but still all right so this movie is two hours and 50 something minutes this three-hour movie Mm -hmm. Do we really need a scene explaining how OCD he is? Yeah, probably not. Like, we fucking get it at this point, you know? And I don't think it was even that badly done a scene or anything like that, but like you no, said... No, it was a good scene, but I'm like... Yeah. If you were going to make a movie about his mental health, this is a good scene. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to make a movie about how he overcame the congressional, you know, uh, investigations... Um, then it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Or even if you're going to make a movie about his relationship with Catherine Hepburn, then you know this essentially ending their relationship or the last time they talk to each other or whatever would be effective also. Mm -hmm. But it's, I just don't find it effective in here. I'm like, okay, I get it. He's 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 having a breakdown. Mm -hmm. Got it. I don't need the fucking close up on his dirty fucking mouth yeah. telling me that he needs milk at us in a certain way and yeah. like all this like I just don't give a shit about that. Um we could we could skip ahead like to just say when Alec Baldwin's character gets there. Yeah. And oh geez, look, he's really devolved. He's really degraded. Exactly. Into, we we don't need that. You're absolutely right. And to bring up um it reminding me of Oppenheimer again, which you haven't seen yet, right? I have not seen it. Um but one thing that that movie does is it's centered around um, both the hearing where Oppenheimer loses his security clearance and the hearing where What's-His-Face, Strauss, um, is denied the cabinet position, and it's very much centered around those two, those two hearings. So things keep coming back to there, and I think it's useful to have like a central centralizing kind of structure to these movies because they're long and far-ranging. So having like a home base that you can relate everything back to can be very helpful and i think that any of the ones that you mentioned there would have been useful you know devices to keep the movie focused yes exactly it was it was more unfocused and more like 
this is about all of his life, except not, because we're also going to stop it after a certain point. It does make you sort of wonder, right? Because Martin Scorsese was complaining about the editing of this and everything, mm -hmm. so I'm sure that he was getting a lot of flack for for cutting it down. And I'm not saying that I want to yeah. see a three-and-a-half-hour version of this movie, but I am curious if his original mm -hmm. vision was more coherent. Um, but anyway. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, so at this point, though, this is where I, I was starting to feel like... I was feeling... This is where I was really feeling like the sense of impending dread. Mm -hmm. I, I was like... It was like an existential fear that I was having. Um, so this movie was really getting to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to like take a break from it and come back. <laughs> it's kind of um, intense. Yeah. I mean, it's this entire the scene in, where he's stuck in that room is it's that, you know, the flashing red light. Like it's just, it's, it's building a lot of tension, even subconsciously. But I mean, it, it's just, it just made me think too, because I mean, this is—it's disgusting and crazy, right? Yeah. And I'm not, like, I don't mean to be disparaging to the person who's experiencing these mental health crises, but it's gross. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine having the money where you could just live in your craziness and you don't get committed? Yeah, that, I mean, if you're if you're going to be crazy, that would be a good way to do it. But as you also, you know, as as we talked about earlier, it would be better to not not be crazy like that. Right. Exactly. It might have been nice if somebody in his life had been able to come and be like, I think we need to get a doctor in here, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Anybody know Freud? <laughs> um, we probably give him some Coke. Um, That's the price. He's like, five grams of Coke or nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> one, one trip shows up. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, well, you know, with him, it only takes one trip. <laughs> oh, Jesus, well, that's a good one. Um, hey, he's the one who runs an airline. Howard Hughes thanks him for the flowers, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. now we're alluding to the fact that the, his competitive spirit is what's going to get him out of this. Mm -hmm. But I st still have me on the edge. I'm like, is he going to show up for the hearings? Because you know, I don't know if he did or not. Yeah, um, yeah, being unfamiliar with his life actually helped me somewhat because. And I also didn't know, like, you gonna have to like make an action. I have to come get him, like, drag him out of this room. Yeah. And what what happened right after this? Um, I think this is when Ava Gardner shows up because she's able to get. She goes into the room and gets him to put uh, some clothes on and everything like that. And he hasn't he hasn't gotten a haircut or anything yet, but. She's able to like clean him off and like get him actually dressed and stuff. And then he sticks his head out the door and you know tells the woman walking by, I guess who's just an employee of Hughes Enterprises, that he yeah. wants some shoes. I like what I remember is that I felt like the scene was too cinematic, and I can't remember what part it was, but I was just like, okay, this is very for the movies, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I was surprised that Ava Gardner showed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, that came a little out of nowhere. Because last time they had seen each other, they were a bit angry at each other. Not only that, but I felt like their entire relationship was very like she didn't like him that much. Yeah, know? yeah, she declines marrying him because she doesn't love him. She says out loud and right to him, which is fine. Just you know, it was kind of blunt. Yeah, and then 
and then uh yeah it, it's so anyway so he ends up showing up at the hearings and i will say it's crazy to me that he had to fight for the right to compete yeah you know like yeah he's insanely anti-american anti-capitalist it's, inc- to, it's, uh, it's incredible that he has to go and argue this you know like yeah like why shouldn't they have a monopoly, monopoly? well yeah. gee, I, I, do i really have to explain to you why you shouldn't have a monopoly i'm so <laughs> yeah. i mean you know do we need to get teddy roosevelt back you know i like, think yes in general <laughs> that would be yeah. fun <laughs> the the, re- the real life u.s history cinematic universe teddy roosevelt comes in through a portal hold on a second <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize I wrote this. Kate Beckinsale is a very attractive woman. <laughs> well, I think we know how you feel. Yeah, she's she's a good-looking lady. Um, the way Kate Beckinsale said, you're too crazy for me, just felt like it was right out of a movie from the 40s, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know this is what Scorsese is asking for, but it feels kind of silly. Yeah, it's a little, little, a little bit almost like uh, an impression, you know? Yeah, like, I'm in a movie for crazy for me, baby. Yeah, come on, thoughts. And I, so you know, we go back to the hearing again, and I was actually I was curious if the hearing with Howard Hughes really went like that. Like, did he really get the better of the senator? Mm-hmm. And I found the uh, recording of the trial, mm-hmm. and he did. This was like this wasn't all that cinematic. It was he really was like just better than him and smarter and got the better of him. It's yeah. kind of incredible. Yeah, it 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 actually might have been a, a good idea to frame the whole movie around this whole hearing yes. in a sense. No kidding. I mean, think about what like a sense of triumph that this would be, both because he like I mean he the fact that he's able to overcome not leaving that particular room in his I guess office. I don't know what it was. For, for however long and then he's not only able to get it together he's able to go then embarrass this shitty senator like just through out talking him it was very impressive i mean you could have interspersed so here here's how i envision this movie and it, it could be it could have been like a, an hour and 50 minutes right mm-hmm. where you're you open with him in that room right not able mm-hmm. to yeah. It doesn't have to be a long time. You don't go there. And then immediately he cuts to the, you know, a scene of him talking with the senator here, right? In, in mm-hmm. the hearing. And you can have like a discussion come up, like, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. And then you have a flashback where you learn some of the history of that. And then it cuts back to, you know, the room. And you're like slowly building up the history to show where how he ended up in the room. Mm-hmm. And how he overcomes it and and triumphs in this hearing. I mean, it would. I yeah. think that would be a much better way to do it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to pat either of us on the back here, but that that actually sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> extremely well thought out. Um, and again, like the drink with John and Jack is better movies than Martin Scorsese. It's not that is not what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, that is convincing. It's hard to argue against. Well, hopefully, you know, some people give us enough money that we can start producing movies because I think yeah. we do a good job at it. Well, um, we, we, we're good at right, redoing other people's movies. Yeah, yeah that, we've at least got that. You know, but that's pretty much all we're doing in Hollywood now anyway, right? That's so. true. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just reboot everything. We'll reboot yeah. The Aviator. Exactly. 
doing another Howard Hughes bio biopic. <laughs> it's going to be a, a lot less production value, though. Um, <laughs> like virtually none. How little uh, can we get away with? Because that's how much we're doing. <laughs> I, I like to think cut to Alec Baldwin sounding genuinely really remorseful uh-huh. that he lost the hearing. Mm-hmm. You know? I thought it was I was sort of fascinating to see that. Um I so I I liked it. I will say that I don't know that it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, yeah, the I, yeah, I don't know if it if, if it needs to be there, but um it was a pretty well done scene either way. Yeah. I mean so I thought Alec Baldwin was really good in it. Mhm. You oh know, yeah, I, actually, yeah, he was. Um, this is actually his best scene in the movie. Um, yeah, I agree. And convinc- I think convincingly remorseful, but also just like, oh well, that's what I get. I guess I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now you know, you know, it's sort of celebratory, right? And he's uh, he's Howard's back, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we could do a newsreel. Howard's back and better than ever. Yeah, <laughs> the return of Hughes. Uh, but this is where we get the really weird response from John C. John C. Riley when uh, he's like, Are "Those two people work mm-hmm. for me, right?" Yeah, everybody works for you, Howard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was said in such a weird way. It turns out that 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 guy in real life was just gaslighting Howard Hughes the entire time. Yeah, right. Those but guys I- listening to you, Howard. I think they're on your phone. <laughs> no, I just met someone who's on the phone for you. Well, I, I thought it was like portending something, you know, like I'm like, mm-hmm. what are we getting at here? Like what's is is has Noah been a figment of uh Howard Hughes's <laughs> imagination this whole time? Him and Paul Bettany. But no, nothing. Nothing happened. Yeah. It was Paul Bettany. Uh all right. And then we cut right back to him being a kid, because yeah. apparently everything about this movie needs to be right on the nose. Yep. When I grow up, I'm going to fly the fastest planes ever built, make the biggest movies ever, and be the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Which I, I know they're not saying that he actually said that as a kid. Mm-hmm. But it struck me as funny because when he was a kid, none of those existed. <laughs> well, maybe richest <laughs> man in the world. There were no planes and there were no movies. <laughs> He says that like all, all grandly, and then his mom's like, "The fuck is a plane?" Yeah. <laughs> Wait, forget that. What the fuck is a movie? Yeah, hell's wrong with this kid? Get out of here, you crazy kid! We clean him again. Not only does he have OCD, he can see the future. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's this is it's like one of those you can see the future, but you have OCD. Yeah, a really bad case of it too. Pretty bad, yeah. Not just not just you have to turn and pay attention how long everything takes. Well, that's it. That's the whole movie. Um, now we go on to the rank. A rank. So the rank is where we rank the movie based on ten categories: story, acting, originality, film coherence, cinematography, score slash soundtrack, script structure and dialogue, character relatability, production value, and timelessness. Mm-hmm. We rank it on a scale of one to ten, one being the worst, ten being the best. And we start with story, and I will start this time. Mm. I gave story a seven point two five. So Howard Hughes's life was certainly interesting. 
right? Mm -hmm. And it was fun to have all these characters around him that were famous people that we would know from old Hollywood. But I don't know if it was like the greatest story ever told or anything, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, there were definitely times when I felt like, why is this part of it? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's a cool, the, the man's life is very interesting. So I'll, I, I don't want to give it too low on the story portion of it because there is that. But yeah. Well, anyway, what say you? Maybe I'll, you'll convince me to go down. Uh, well, yeah, I, I gave it a seven. So we're pretty uh, of a mind there. Yeah, um, I felt similarly <laughs> because like it's not. I kept thinking, you know, yes, he, he had an interesting life and did a lot of things. There's a lot of fodder for a movie here, but I just don't know that we needed a movie. I don't know, right. maybe the fact that there hadn't been one for a long time is indicative of something, or, like we were saying earlier, uh, focus on something, not just in general, but also stop, you know, just after, because, like, the, the, the climactic moment is the spruce goose flying, and then, like, but we weren't building to that the entire time, so then it was just... I know. I was like, okay, so it flew. I yeah. it, to your point, I forgot to even put it in the movie overview notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it mattered so, that little to me. Yeah, so um, like you said, interest. There were some interesting events, but overall, I mean, let's let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next category is acting. So, what do you have for that one? Uh, for acting, I gave it an eight. I vacillated between a seven point seven five ish and an eight ish, and I decided to lean eight because there was really nothing to complain about. Um, everybody was at worst quietly solid. Um, like I said earlier, I always forget what a good dramatic actor John C. Riley can be because I just think of him as goofy now, um, which is fine. He seems to make money doing it. Um, <laughs> everyone else was uh, good. Um, uh, Alan Alda was slimy, but he was supposed to be. Um, Leo was good. Honestly, I thought he did a, a nuanced job of the mental health thing because... He can go very overboard, but here he was actually very understated in a lot of ways, um, despite the fact that it's an easy thing to go overboard about. And my one complaint with uh, with Kate Blanchett is that it got kind of like she was doing an impression a lot of the time, but Catherine Hepburn kind of was doing an impression of herself a lot of the time, so you yeah. kind of can't avoid that. I gave it an eight and a half, so we're, we're kind of in the same ballpark. I think... Mm -hmm. I really liked Leo's performance in this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, to the point where if it was just about him, I might, I might have gone near a ten because mm -hmm. I really think that he portrayed um, this specific mental illness with, uh, with a certain level. Well, I just felt like he did it with nuance and, and some grace, you know. Anyway, but um, um, and, you know, and I think Kate Blanchard was really good as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe a little bit overrated in in this role not I, Kate Blanche is not an overrated actress I just meant I, I think this her winning an Oscar for this role seems I don't know because mm -hmm. it does feel like it's just kind of being very caricature-y you know yeah um but it, it is sort of funny to me that Kate Blanche won an Oscar for portraying the actress as one of the most best actress Oscars um yeah but that's fun outside of Leo and Kate it did feel like a lot a lot like everyone else was very caricature-y, you know. Um, I believe, I, I think that was on purpose. I, and that Scorsese wanted that, you know, like he wanted mm -hmm. to be emblematic of the time they were representing. Yeah. Uh, but it sort of removes you from the realism. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, yeah, I think so too. It makes it like too, 
too um i don't say jokey but like too much too much like a big impression like you're doing a skit or something it's almost like it's satire but like mm -hmm. there's no satire yeah you know it just felt like it felt like he never picked the lane scorsese mm -hmm. yeah so it felt like he was just kind of i want to do this and i want to do this and i want to do this and it's like well you need to do one thing mm -hmm. you know, do <laughs> one thing really well yeah you do a lot of things pretty well in this but yeah anyway um I, I thought Alan Alda, like you said, Alan Alda was was good. I thought Alec Baldwin was good. Kate Beckinsale was pretty good, other than like a couple lines that I thought weren't great. But that's not, you know, mm -hmm. um, snitpicky. I actually thought John C. Riley was probably the best character in this movie because he's the most subtle. I I think he was the best actor in this, and that his character he was his character felt more real than anybody else's. Like Adam Scott was fun in yes. this, but like kind of ridiculous you know yeah. um anyway i thought everyone was really good uh, yeah. i just didn't feel like the cursory performances were allowed to be like a whole mm -hmm. so anyway let's let's move on so the next category is originality and that's me mm -hmm. um i'm curious where we're gonna be on this mm -hmm. but uh i gave it a five and a half. Oh, okay I mean, it's a biopic, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it, it was definitely an interesting subject, but we weren't breaking a ton of new ground here. It was cool to see how Howard Hughes was innovative in the field of aeronautics. It was also interesting interesting to see his struggle with sanity, but I, I don't know if there's anything super original here. I'd say it's slightly above average. Um, yeah, I gave it a seven. Um, kind of similar thinking in that, like, it's original because I gave it originality points because I mean I, it, this first this is the first media I remember about Howard Hughes and that I know of you know like it came out it was like oh Howard Hughes he's a guy right so that's original <laughs> in that sense but like you know yeah it absolutely tread no new ground that we don't get with other subjects and other movies I I mean I'm tempted to go lower because you kind of talked me into it there but I'll just leave it at a seven for now because. Okay, like you know, it's original, yeah, original in that. Oh yeah, and like it's not even the first time that they really do classic Hollywood or anything like that, you know, or like classic industrialism or anything. Either. I think, I think for me, it's hurt in that it because there's no like, it's there's no focus, mm -hmm. you know, that it just. I don't know. It just is like, okay, so you tried this thing, you tried this thing, you tried some of the, what you tried could have been original, but you didn't mm -hmm. stick to it, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, like making a biopic about a famous person's mental health breakdown, that might've been an original idea in 2004. You know what I mean? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the next one is film coherence. So what do you have for that? Film coherence, I also gave a seven because, um, like, everything made sense in the way it was presented, but at the same time, it, it could have been so much more effective, effectively presented. Yeah. Um, I almost wish that they had taken more risks as far as presenting things, maybe trying to portray his perspective a little bit more. Like, for instance, the scene toward the end there where John C. Riley says the, this, the creepy line and it actually looks like the waiters are coming after him. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe that some more of that sort of inventiveness might have actually made the film more coherent for me because 
it would have pulled something together, pulled it together, like focusing his his actual mental illness like more acutely or something. As it is, it was just like very middling. Um, it was coherent, but not like not in a way not like uh, effective, I guess. Yeah. No, I I mean I don't disagree with anything you said there. I actually uh, I gave it a four and a half. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried uh, that my seven was going to be low, so I feel okay. Yeah, well, I it it, it actually annoyed me how incoherent it was. Mm -hmm. um, and I will acknowledge that this is probably the toughest category for a bio biopic mm -hmm. because you're trying to condense decades into two to three hours, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I get that that's difficult, but amazingly. When you're trying to condense decades into two to three hours, it still felt like there were a lot of unnecessary scenes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, there was a ton of unnecessary stuff that just wasn't contrib contributing at all, you know? Yeah. So, like, I don't know how... To me, I think the hard thing would be to not add more scenes that would that would be coherent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, instead of having a bunch of incoherent scenes. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong here, and and maybe that was the problem that Scorsese had with uh, with the editing. Like he didn't want to cut it down because it makes mm -hmm. it a little more incoherent. But, um, you know, the scenes where Howard was holed up in a room needed mm -hmm. an editor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it seemed like there were a lot of parts where they were trying to be artsy, mm -hmm. and I just don't really understand why. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, it would be one thing to be artsy in a two-hour movie, but when you're pushing three hours, you got to cut some of that shit out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I will say, <laughs> and I will say that there was no point that I didn't understand the linear trajectory of the timeline that we were yeah. on. But I did think it was hard to follow contextually what time frame we were in. Mm -hmm. um, and my guess is that Scorsese had like 200 hours of film and had to condense it to three hours and made for and it made for a slightly less coherent yeah. setup. Um, like I have no idea why Ava Gardner is coming back to help him. Yeah, they never. He's bunking her house and cheating on her. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say yeah, they never established that she's just suddenly there. Yeah, like so he's bugged her house. He's cheated on her with a teenager, mm -hmm. and then she's coming back to help him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that people don't do that, right? But could we have established any reason for this? Um, I mean, we had to establish a reason for his mental illness, but we didn't need to establish why she would come back for him. We didn't need to establish that he was deaf. Mm -hmm. it, we don't need to establish why Catherine Hepburn is actually this important figure in his life, mm -hmm. why her parents, you know, were even needed in this movie. Um, I just, I don't know. And this may all be the stuff that really happened, but I, I just, you brought Catherine Hepburn back to ask him out of the room mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. Yeah. So why did we even have that scene? I guess this, she's still invested in his life, but it didn't matter. So right? who gives a shit? You yeah. don't bring her back later. Yeah, true. Um, but I just, there's a lot of choices made here that don't add up to a fully coherent movie in my mm -hmm. opinion. So I, I hate to say that. I was really excited to watch a Martin Scorsese movie, and I do like his movies. Um, and it's not that I disliked this one, but I felt like this could have been a lot better in this area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, so 
Sorry, I just did a lot. No, that's good. So on to cinematography. So for cinematography, I gave it a six and a half. Mm -hmm. And I am really curious what you're going to have to say about this one. Uh, I felt like the muted blue tones that they went with in the 20s and 30s were a very odd choice. I get that it was supposed to be representative of what the color capabilities were at the time, but and and we've said this many times before, your film came out in 2004. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't um, matter what the film was like in 1934. Right. Or shit. I don't need to see a blue golf course, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't need to see that to understand that we're in the 20s and 30s. Like, that's what your production is supposed to do. Yeah. That's what your set pieces are. That's what your costumes are. You're going to spend $2 million in costumes and then have everybody be fucking blue. It makes no sense. <laughs> no, you're you're not wrong at all. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I just imagine if they'd used these beautiful set pieces instead of, you know, trying to confine themselves to the uglier, uglier cinematic motif. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can change my mind on this. I didn't think it was terrible or anything. I just felt like it could have been so much better. So I, I don't think I'm going through it. I gave it a seven and a half. Um, I, I could, def- I definitely see where you're coming from. The uh, I liked. I thought a lot of it did look quite good and was presented fairly attractively. Um, I don't know that a lot of it was was filmed in a way that was effective for the storytelling, but I, you know, I did generally enjoy looking at it, and that was really about it. Um, you're kind of convincing me to go lower, but again, I'll just leave it because I don't want to just be like, yeah, you're right, every single one. <laughs> All right, well, the next category is score slash soundtrack. So what do you have for that? Never know what to give this goddamn category, so I gave it a seven. A tough one. Um, I, I, like, I guess I didn't notice too much one way or the other. Um, I don't really have much to say except the ending credits began, and I was like, "Oh, I guess this is kind of a nice enough song, I suppose." And I saw it was scored by Howard Shore, and I was like, "Okay, twenty-seven, <laughs> because I don't know what the fuck to say." Somebody's gonna need to come up and like give me a little crash course on score because I don't know what to give it. I think the problem with the the hard part with score is that you're not there's so much to pay attention to in a movie especially when you're looking at it critically that a lot of times score is the thing that kind of goes to the background, you mm-hmm. know? So you like have to keep reminding yourself to listen for it, you know, mm-hmm. it's tough. Mm-hmm. But uh, I gave it an 8.25. Okay. I actually really liked the score of this. Um, I think it was used effectively and I felt like it was a living part of the film uh, throughout. Mm-hmm. But uh that being said, it didn't blow me away, so that's why I'm not giving it higher than an eight and a quarter. But uh, but I enjoyed it, so you know. So just there you just, go. Just perfectly fair. Um. <laughs> so the next category is script structure and dialogue. I gave that a seven point seven five. I mean, similar complaints to story and film coherence, but it was a decent script and it had good lines and believable dialogue for the most part. Um, but it disappeared into this 20s, 30s, 40s campy stereotype sometimes yeah. that I didn't like or understand. Um, and I don't mean understand like in the sense like, I don't know what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't understand why we did it. Mm-hmm. Um and they were trying to show Howard as a playboy, and he just comes off as a creep a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
maybe that's what they were going for and i and i got like i got that wrong but uh but geez you know i don't know it was it was good but not great basically mm -hmm. what do you what do you have for it i gave it a 6.75 which is lower than my other ones because i felt like a lot of the problems were with how they put together the script i don't know maybe maybe it was in the editing maybe it was in you know just decisions they made while filming but for me the it 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 seems like it starts with the script and it seems like the script didn't know what to focus on so they didn't have anything to focus on during the movie um i feel like it could have been put together better in the writing stage going all the way back um this, i don't have evidence one way or another so yeah it's, it's tough to say right we can't mm -hmm. it would be nice if we could like read the script while we were watching it or after we watch it or something mm -hmm. maybe that's Maybe when we get big, we can actually do that kind of research. But uh, yeah, support us on Patreon if you want to, that to be a feature. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, if you support us on Patreon and we get to the point where we can do that, we can always go back and redo these. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do anything for money. <laughs> so will everybody, almost everybody except Ava Gardner in Howard's life. <laughs> so. <laughs> but the next category is character relatability. So what do you got there? Character relatability, I gave an eight because I thought they did a very good job of a, a, a very good, delicate, and uh, well-reasoned job of showing Howard's problems without making him a caricature and without making him like, what a crazy guy. Like, it was what a crazy guy. You know, like, you kind of get the sense that once he, like... Like we said before, he even he sort of realizes, well, I'm being kind of fucking crazy in this room. Yeah. But um and then like you can you almost sense that he's uh, embarrassed when Ava Gardner comes in. Um and he's obviously embarrassed to let Alec Baldwin in. But at the same time, um I I sort of felt like I could see how you how it got to that point and why he's allowing not allowing, why he's at the, the point he's at. So um I thought it did a good job of that, and I didn't really care about anybody else, so I just based it on that. Yeah, well, I saw I I felt pretty similar to you. I gave it an eight point seven five. I actually thought this was kind of the second best aspect of the film. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were able they were able to create empathy with their characters, uh, especially Catherine Hepburn and Howard Hughes, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, I related to everyone's motives except for the senators because mm -hmm. I thought that was weird. I guess his was just greed. Mm -hmm felt crazy that he was you know a united states senator that was like monopolies are great um but you know they really tried to pass that bill so i guess there's that yeah. um but yeah i i, I really I, I agree with you the um the way they portrayed his uh his mental illness uh it does a it does a lot for for the relatability you know they they do a good job of building it up and showing sort of falling into it and sort of his letting himself succumb to his um his illness you know mm -hmm. yeah but anyway yeah so that's mine so uh on to production value and that i thought was the the best part of the movie mm -hmm. uh i gave it a 9.4 mm -hmm. I accidentally pressed four when I was trying to decide between 9.25 and 9.5. So I left it because I felt like it was kind of perfect. Um, the production value was excellent. Uh, mm -hmm. Best part of the film, beautiful set pieces, 
though at times killed by the unimaginative or maybe too imaginative cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the aircraft were really cool. The look and feel of Southern California in the 20s, 30s, and 40s was very cool as well. Uh, really well done. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you what do you have? I gave it a nine for the same reasons. I thought the production was excellent. Um, like I when I said before, the cinematography was nice to look at. I, a lot of it was a lot of the set design and everything else that was nice to look at. I think the costume design was was good. I, I don't really know. Um, I a lot of like just the design decisions, like say when it begins, and you see the aviator and like the really cool Art Deco motif. Very cool. I, I really like that a lot. It's a time period I really love and like looking at, and uh, a lot of the like you know deco industrialist streamlined stuff. Very cool. Nothing else. Yeah. No. I was, no. It, it, I, I hate it when it's. Uh, I have an uninteresting reason. It was good because I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I struggle with that too. Um, but uh, well, the next category is timelessness probably the hardest category in here mm. but uh what do you have for that one i gave it a six i originally gave it higher and then like i by originally gave it higher i mean while i was watching the movie i was thinking this has the the ingredients to be to be pretty timeless and then uh it was over and i was like well i kind of am already not thinking about it <laughs> it just ended <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'll think about it when I think of Howard Hughes. Probably I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that Aviator, right? That was that was all right." And that was kind of it. Um, it's been this is interesting because the 2016 ones still still a little bit too recent to really say, right? On timelessness, but 2004, we're kind of getting to a point where how how do people look back on this movie? And I don't think people look back on this one particularly at all. So I know it's actually it's. It's almost like the more recent movies are luckier in this category because we're we have to guess, mm-hmm. whereas the older ones we we kind of know what the timelessness is, you know. Yeah, we're gonna get to Casablanca and we're gonna be like timelessness. Well, I guess ten. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, the reality decided this one for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So for me, um, I actually gave it a three and a half. Oh, wow, I was worried about my scores being all low. I'm actually thrilled that you liked this less than I did. Because <laughs> I didn't like it all that much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough when you, you know, like, as I, and I, like, I liked it, you know. Mm-hmm. I just, I find it to be, you know, you take, I guess maybe it's not fair to have expectations, but, like, you know, Martin Scorsese and Kate Blanchett, Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, do they get three hours worth of story time? Like I just, mm-hmm. how, how did they not get this right? But yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? How did they not get this right? Is a pretty accurate representation of how I feel. So yeah. Um, and I don't think that, so basically I don't think this will stand the test of time. Right. Uh, for must, mm-hmm. I, I, it will always be helped by the fact that it was a Martin Scorsese movie. Um, mm-hmm. so cinephiles will probably watch it because it's in his filmography. But mm-hmm. other than that, I don't know that it's going to be something people will be talking about in 10 years mm-hmm. and saying, oh, man, you have to watch The Aviator. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's where I've that's where I've got it. Three and a half. Yeah. And that's uh, speaking of that. That's the rank, right? That's the rank. How'd so. It it did not do well. Oh. Uh, it did not. It did not beat a single 2015 movie. So. Oh, 
Hey, the big short's not actually. You know what? The big short wasn't in last. I'm sorry. No, I know. I forgot. Spotlight. That's in last. One, one best picture, but it is not in last anymore. Um, well done, by, Spotlight. And by quite a bit, I might add, because oh. Spotlight has a total of 164. Mm -hmm. the Aviator has 143.15. Ooh, I'm sorry, Marty. Yeah, I think that's mostly my fault, to be honest. No, it's honestly, I, I, I think I was actually being a little kind to the movie because I felt bad because I adore Martin Scorsese and I liked me some, too. I liked a lot of aspects of the movie, not so much the movie. Um, <laughs> well, you could take a lot of scenes out of it and be mm -hmm. like, "Wow, these are amazing scenes," you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well acted, artful, put together well. You know, those are not things you can say about the movie at all. So. Yeah. It's and that's well the acting you could that's but, true yeah um but other than that I just you know I just felt like man I don't know it's it's unfortunate well, um, well we'll get to more Martin Scorsese over over the course of this particular one including yeah that we'll do at some point because you know right indeed particularly well actually I've never seen you see that would you believe it oh really I've never I, seen it. I've never seen it. And actually, it wasn't nominated for Best Picture, so it doesn't really oh, matter. Oh, I don't think right. so. Maybe it was. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Um, we'll, we'll do. I think, uh, I think Sharon Stone was nominated for Best Actress, though. That's true. Remember, she was slinky in that movie? Yeah, she was. She's she's rough in that movie. <laughs> she was like, I fucking could not stand her. Um, but, but yeah, so anyway, I guess we can do our outro here. So yeah. thanks. Uh, for listening, everybody. Mm -hmm. um, if you'd like to see an updated list of our rankings, you can see that on our website at therankwithjohnandzack.com. I do have a little bit of an, an announcement here because as you're listening to this, normally you go, okay, my next movie one is going to be the action movie series is coming out on Saturday. Mm -hmm. But that's actually not going to happen. Um, we're switching to have all of our movies on Tuesday, our movie episodes on Tuesdays. And so next week, Instead of getting Finding Neverland, which is the next 2004 movie, you'll be getting The Expendables. <laughs> same dish. Yeah, same idea. Um, which is the next? Which is the next movie in our action movie series? One is, so next... one is Peter Pan. One is Peter Payne. <laughs> um, uh, so I was, yeah, I was so proud of myself for that. I had. I really liked it. I really liked it. Um, but yeah, so for next week, you know, join us uh, and listen to the 2010 epic with tons of action stars, including Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Bruce Willis, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, we're doing that one because The Expendables 4 is, is coming out on Friday, so we thought it was the perfect time to rank the first one in the series. But if that's not your, if you, you know, if you're not an action movie person, then come back in two weeks and we'll be doing Finding Neverland. So, um, yeah, thanks again. Goodbye. And time to take off.